0: 5021 David, we got a fender down and two GSWs to the chest. I need you to meet us at Molly's <laughs> for the most powerful podcast on the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, I go by the name of Leroy's Hawkins, and if you're not listening, you obviously ain't learning. Copy that. You're standing next to you by your and to me, there's nothing more important. That's gonna be all sunshine and roses
1: it's gonna be hell ride. hey shy welcome to episode 198 of meet us at molly's uh today we're gonna cover episodes three 703 1003 and 903 so uh that 200th episode is right around the corner i know for both of us for both fire and for us and for us crazy, crazy. So, uh, we always like to start with the news and we do have some, and speaking of, we've got episode descriptions for the fifth episode. So not next week, but the week after, which does include the 200th. So, okay. Med 705. This is called change is a tough pill to swallow. Dylan and Charles treat patients suffering from glass child syndrome and mixed diagnosed ADHD. Crockett has to navigate hospital politics when he cares for the daughter of a transplant surgeon and Will and Stevie must lay egos aside to help save an elderly patient. Okay. Sounds like a good,
2: first of all, I don't know what glass child syndrome is. So I'll be curious to see what that is. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't know what that is. Crockett going against hospital politics. Sounds really good. And also Will and Stevie putting their egos aside
1: also sounds really good. Glass children are the siblings of a person with a disability. The word glass means people tend to see right through them and focus only on the person with the disability. Okay. Glass is also used because the children appear strong, but in reality they are not. Okay. Well, where's the syndrome? Is that it? Let's see. Glass syndrome. But is Glass Syndrome the same as Glass Child Syndrome? Well, okay, wait. Or they—they they probably have thought all these years that the kids had ADHD, but really, they had Glass Child Syndrome
2: because yeah, they probably got a
1: sibling who's disabled.
2: Yeah, that's what it says. Misdiagnosed
1: ADHD. So, hmm. okay. And this article is about just straight up Glass Syndrome. What is that? <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, I have no idea what it is and I'm
2: interested to see what it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Did I tell you Charlie and I took a glass blowing class a couple of weeks ago? Yes, because I saw the videos of it. That shit was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Um, glass burns at like some, something ridiculous. Like at one point I was standing in front of an oven that was like 2300 degrees or something. And I was like, I'm pretty sure my face is melting off of me right now. <laughs> I don't know yeah but okay um, cool yeah I've now found my way over to blowing tiktok now that I've done it once and I'm just like this is so mesmerizing you end up in the most random
2: ass tiktok spirals I do don't I like you've <laughs> got your marble ones like Hamilton What? like you just end up in like very random ones I I don't know how you end up there
1: yeah, I don't either. Um, right now, I'm all about Squid Game TikTok, because <laughs> I watched that last yeah, week. Yeah, like, but like,
2: at least to me, I'm not on TikTok. Like, I don't really go on TikTok. But like, to me, TikTok is like dances, you know, like all the stuff. And Gina's like, no, let me go down here for like television related,
1: like TikTok spirals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Marvel TikToks are really good, though. If you if you follow the right people, they're A++. Um, yeah. So it, it's, there's a bunch of TikToks a mess. Like, there's a couple of videos where I'm like, that's hilarious. Like I'm laughing really hard. And then there's like the majority of them. I'm like, well, there's 30 seconds of my life. I'm never getting back. <laughs> so yeah, you continue to be on it. <laughs> I know it's because social media is an addiction and a bad one at that. And I just can't quit it. Yeah, it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Thank God Twitter was up on Monday, the day of like the great social media crash of 2021. Oh, I would have been
2: screwed if it had gone. I mean, Instagram was already bad enough, but like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and the killer too is that WhatsApp was down and you guys know the group chat we have with all of our friends from ATX. Well, we do that over WhatsApp. We couldn't even communicate with the group.
2: Yeah, you had to. You were trying to send something
1: to other people, but you're like, I have to Texas now. This is so weird. And I was yeah. like, This is yeah, not what I'm used to. Yeah, that was that was a crazy day. But um, yeah, that was just hilarious on Monday. Like, hilarious. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's med. Anyway, take us through fire. Anyway, so Fire 1005 is
2: called 200. And it says in the show's milestone 200th episode, Casey makes a life altering decision. Gallo, Ritter, and Violet agree to an interview and photo shoot. Brett and Mouch launch the paramedicine program, and
1: Cruz comes closer to fatherhood. I wonder if that means the episode's going to end with like Chloe's water breaking or something. Oh, it
2: better. It's, I feel like she's been pregnant for 20 years. <laughs> right, right. Like, please just let her have the baby already. <laughs> so exciting.
1: So
3: exciting. Yeah. I, um, Casey's- I
1: also really like, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, I was saying Casey's life-altering
2: decision. What do you think it is? It's gotta be something with the Dardens. It's gotta be, I. I think he's gonna like, adopt. I don't know if adopt them, but like, make him, them living with him permanent. I guess I don't know what the right, cause I don't think I, I don't know about adopting them per se, but it's yeah. gotta be something with them.
1: Yeah. And the, um, uh, the TV guide magazine scoop that we'll get into here next, that kind of shines a little bit more light on it. But, uh, Derek was quoted as saying it was like tough to film and I'm like, don't, don't do this to us. Don't. don't. Yeah.
2: We'll get into it. In and yeah, but it should be good. I'm really, I I'm really excited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be emotional, but it'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, PD905 is called Burnside. As the team works to solve a deadly shooting in Burnside, Atwater realizes he has a very personal connection to the case. It's a Kevin episode. Thank gosh. Right. I
2: feel like we haven't had a Kevin episode in 20 bajillion years. Um, Exactly.
1: Yes. More Kevin episodes, please.
2: Also, is Burnside like a suburb or
3: something? I guess like so. It's like, it neighborhood? Must be like
1: a, a neighborhood. Yeah. Let me um, back to Google. I meant to I meant to Google it and I forgot. I've been doing a lot of this lately. Um, <laughs> Chicago? Wait. Burnside. There we go. Okay. Let's see what this is. This is a neighborhood and it is by Chicago State University. Not that we know where that is, but let's see. Let's that see, means let's see. that, yeah. Um hmm if if I zoom out I lose the part that says Burnside okay actually it's not far from Harvey if you can see that or maybe it is maybe it is far from Harvey I can't tell by this map can you tell Uh, can you see that that's
2: kind of far from Harvey but what do I know
1: I don't know so Harvey (laughs) just in case you guys forgot um Harvey is where both LaRoyce Hawkins and Kevin Atwater are from on the show um yeah I'm just I feel like as many years of these shows have been
2: on, I've never heard anybody refer to Burnside. So I was like, what is Burnside?
1: I feel like but, we learn a new neighborhood every week. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, I don't like, know
2: where that is, but okay.
1: My biggest takeaway from like the universe with regard to Chicago neighborhoods is Pilsen is bad. <laughs> but
2: but like, what I feel like too I, I was re-watching the episode this morning, and I feel like I had this just like all of a sudden realization that I feel like they use Pulaski as like the street in every episode and I was like but wait a second how many how many crimes can take place on Pulaski maybe like, is uh, a long street I don't know maybe it's one of those streets that has like a north and a south or an east and a west so maybe sometimes
1: they're on west Pulaski oh, well, I it. don't know Pulaski but- yeah there is there's a north and a south Pulaski I just found it <laughs> Okay, Okay, so that would maybe make a little
2: more sense, but I feel like they just say it in every episode.
1: Okay, so at a certain point, North Pulaski turns into what we call Crawford Avenue. (laughs) It looks like that happens in (laughs) Central Skokie. So wait, Crawford keeps going, and then it turns into Ridge Road, which goes through Winnetka. Yeah, so it goes for a while, but let me see how far South Pulaski goes. Um, South Pulaski, South Pulaski. It, it goes
2: okay so <laughs> that maybe I just I just like I said I just a street that I was like I feel like they reference in every episode and it just hit me today I don't know why
1: yeah and then it turned into what's called the governor's highway so yeah there that's why solid okay. I don't know our friends who are Chicago locals like they're listening to this right now and they're like oh god don't no just uh, don't no, let them no. talk about Chicago neighborhoods ever again <laughs> Yeah, like as much as we
2: obviously love Chicago, we've only really been to like, obviously kind of more the more touristy places and then anything that has to do with the show. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like,
1: not that our knowledge of Chicago is not that great. But Dude, I got spam calls today from both a Chicago, Illinois, and then the one that was like Blue Island, Illinois. And I was like, what the fuck? Because like Blue Island is where the firehouse is. is This where the firehouse is.
2: What? (laughs) That's wild.
1: Yeah. Uh, but Blue Island the street, not Blue Island the city. Blue Island the city is like far from actual Chicago. Blue Island the street but is where the still. firehouse is. Yeah. But still, but I was still. like, met Casey? Hi. Can I help <laughs> you? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So that's PD. Finally, an Atwater episode. More of those,
2: please. Yes. I am curious to see what this personal connection is, though. Is this
1: where we maybe meet Kevin's girlfriend? Um, I'm gonna keep the happy head canon in my head for now that we met I, Kevin's no. girlfriend on med last night. Yes, but you know what I mean. Yes, yes, no. That it, the happy head canon that I'm keeping is that we met her and her name is Zora, Zora Scott. I'm gonna, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll, get, we'll there. get there. We'll get there, yes. Take us through the next one, please.
2: Okay, so we've got scoop on Fire's 200th episode again, coming from the physical TV Guide magazine, and it was sent to us by our listener Haley, who again did the Lord's work because she Lord's sent work. it to us. And
1: physical magazines her. are still a thing. Right?
2: Crazy. I know. I know. Crazy. So there's a lot of stuff in here. So, like Gina was kind of referencing her earlier Derek calls it an emotional life-changing and tough to view Um, he also said it was tough to film so there's that apparently Bowden is going to be regretting his new position Cruz and Chloe are awaiting the birth of their baby Um, apparently Casey is in some kind of tough situation and Derek says that all I can tell you is that Casey will always choose helping others over his own happiness Apparently, there's a crazy storyline for Severide that starts in this episode involving the return of one of his old colleagues. Um, it says the final moments will be the ones that are most memorable. And then Derek said the ending says a lot about how the writers and I feel about a certain character.
1: What do we do with this aside from stress over it?
2: See, here's the thing. And I posted this because I a lot of people were talking about it in our Facebook group, you know, mm-hmm. over the last day or so. I said this after last season and what we went through with like is Jesse Spencer leaving the show is Taylor Kinney leaving the show like just and then even is Marina like are they gonna kill call like just with everything I've just decided that like until the episode airs I'm not gonna let it stress me out
1: I mean bestly plans right that's always my plan until I have like idle time to think and then like cut to you getting messages being like they wouldn't kill so and so would they <laughs> right it'll be like 1 a.m and you're not gonna be
2: sleeping you're like damn it
1: and you're just like you know go to sleep <laughs> yeah well
2: I will be asleep so you won't get those messages till like when a- or 6 a.m no but, I know <laughs> um I yeah I just I I'm choosing to believe that it's not gonna be bad um I don't know but like and Derek hyping it up in all this way I just I don't know I just I'm not go I'm not letting myself get crazy over it I, I can't yeah
1: yeah I can't who's the old colleague but, I don't
2: know because especially if it's one of Severide's old colleagues but not anyone else's old
1: colleague so so the first thought that came to my head was Rice I don't know why just did uh but he does a lot of Hallmark movies and I feel like that's about to ramp up So I could be kind of wrong there. Um, Hallmark movies usually film early In the summer.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: But probably not right. I don't feel like, yeah, that, yeah. I don't Um, know. Did Hadley die or did he just go to jail? Hadley went to jail. He wouldn't be getting out of jail. Or would he? (laughs) No. I don't think so. Do we know this old character? I, and I was going to say, I I wonder if, I don't, oh, I bet we don't. Ooh, ooh, uh, again, another happy head canon. It's Mills. Mills Doesn't is that the old colleague. Amazing? Yeah, Mills.
2: Well, I, and I wonder if this is like, this is me like reading so much into it, like his old colleague, so not someone who's maybe worked at 51, like somebody that Severide used to work with, you know, his old colleague, you know, I don't know.
1: Fine. Kind of hoping it would be somebody we knew. I mean, that would be amazing, but I don't know. And for some reason, hearing Derek say like the ending is how we feel about a certain character, for some reason, Herman comes to mind. Yeah, or Mouch, Mm -hmm. somebody like
2: Bowden, maybe, maybe, but like life
1: changing. What are we doing?
2: Emotional, life-changing, and tough to view. And that's why I wonder too, if I wonder if it has something, Casey's decision has something to do with like the boys coming to live with him on like a permanent basis. That's the only real like life-changing, besides Cruz becoming a dad, those are the only two like life-changing things I can see.
1: See, and I I panicked a little bit when I read that. they're They're like, you know, this is going to be a life-altering decision for Casey because I figured he was going to go move to wherever the boys were. Yeah. A lot of people were freaking
2: out of it. Hold on. I'm going to see if I can pull up the like actual article. Hold on a second. And
1: I, I, I said this in our patron Facebook group where I was just like, okay, great. Now we're worried about Jesse Spencer leaving again. And like they pretty much threw tomatoes at me, which I deserved. It's okay. Patrons who are listening to this. I deserve it, but still
3: I worry
2: it. So it says the actual thing from the, uh, article says but it's cat matthew casey who faces the toughest decisions it says all i can tell you is that casey will always choose helping others over his own happiness has hints and then it said the last sentence but it's not in quotes or anything says if that means leaving those he loves the most that would be upsetting indeed and so a lot of people read that and they were like oh my god that means you know he's gonna leave the show yada 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 and i was like listen it's not in quotes or else you know if derek had said that it would have been in quotes I think that's just whoever wrote it making some conjecture based on like what Derek said. I don't think that actually is what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, and if it's not in quotes, like journalism 101. um, Yeah, yeah, but uh, this fandom is so smart and this is why I love it so much is that like one half of the fandom was like, oh shit, he's leaving. The other half was like, they mean leaving the loft. And I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense.
2: But even then leaving regardless is- coming from whoever wrote this Mm -hmm. not actually Derek yep so like I'm not even taking that see I just kind of like leave that sentence alone um but yeah I mean I guess if the boys do come live with Casey then Casey can't I mean Casey can't stay in the loft forever anyways because Stellaride's about to get married and that's a little weird yeah but (laughs) regardless of that like if the boys do come live with Casey there is no room for all of them in the loft like both Darden boys can't sleep on the couch right like that's not gonna happen like that you know
3: yeah some
1: people have also speculated that like he sells the watch but like what if he sells the watch and like uses it to put a down payment on a house or something yeah I guess I could
2: see that I didn't even think about the watch but like yeah I would I could see Casey buying a house of
1: some sort now granted I learned a couple things about Chicago real estate today we'll get we'll get into that but I, I, he would have to move like kind of well no the area around the firehouse there are houses in that neighborhood yeah 100 hmm. percent.
2: also Casey would probably buy at least this is my headcanon and also I think a lot of people said canon based on all the fanfic I read but Casey would totally buy like a Fixer upper because he has the construction business, so he would know how to like fix own. He wouldn't need like a perfect house
1: because
3: he. Could oh fix my it god! Well. If
1: he bought the house, no, he wouldn't buy that house. The house from the pilot that we saw in this episode, but I don't think he would do that. There's too many bad memories. Yeah, I don't think he would go that. I don't.
2: Not even just for the boy's sake, but for his sanity. For his like, sake. I don't
1: think he would do that.
2: Yeah, but no, Casey would definitely buy a house that's not perfect, in order to like fix it up himself.
1: Hmm. yeah now I want to go back on Zillow and play around some more yeah so maybe we just need to go back to Chicago and start looking at Chicago real estate ourselves um, amen hello dude the saying. houses like some of those houses are actually kind of affordable now
2: yeah Thanks for research Gina I mean duh we're gonna go research. on real estate tours for research for the podcast I mean yeah we gotta know where our faves are living
1: yeah what's affordable what can they realistically afford (laughs) I still want to know how much the loft is Severide's loft I still I'm dying to know like how like is it downtown because like that's going to play into the price it's two bedrooms obviously but like that living room is fucking huge I don't think it's downtown
2: because I my guess is it's somewhat near the firehouse and like Molly's which is not downtown
1: how far is the firehouse from Molly's? That's another good question. <laughs> oh goodness! All these things. In I need this, to in this world, or in real life? Okay, wait, hold on. So, um, Blue Island, South Island Avenue. Okay, so there we go. There's the firehouse. I okay, found <laughs> that. Directions, my location. Okay, um, Lottie's Hub. Yeah. Okay. it's like 17
2: minutes my car yeah I was gonna say I thought it was like 20 minutes
1: so it would have to be like in this neck of the woods which what neighborhood is this is what I'm trying to find out well is it oh it's Wicker Park is where Lotties is but we knew that I thought Lotties was in Bucktown maybe I'm wrong um are there there's not multiple Lotties locations are there I don't know oh no it is Bucktown okay so as you zoom in you know I I thought it was in Bucktown yeah okay so it's got to be somewhere in like the bucktown wicker park area i don't know yeah um yeah the title of this episode should just be like gina and brian google shit for three hours (laughs) (laughs) but at least in this episode which we'll get to but like we
2: actually kind of saw the outside of it for once or the back of it you know when casey and griffin are saying i'm like oh so it actually is like a legit like warehouse yeah that was turned into apartments
1: true very true yes Chicago okay um okay all right I'm just I'm doing some more uh some more googling That's I'm just... saying, we need to go back to Chicago for research purposes research research
2: research, research.
1: there's no way that Kelly Severide can afford that loft <laughs> I that yeah no okay no We'll just okay. Well, oh, wait, now we get it. Okay, hold on. Now we're getting into something better. Now it's like dividing it up by like the different parts of like the the fire department. So, fire commissioner makes 202 a year, like 202,000. Um, mm-hmm. deputy district chiefs makes 156,000. Oh, so Bowden got a raise. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, what does a captain make? Captain paramedic. We don't want that. Hold on. Captain makes 124,000 a year. Okay. Oh, so Casey's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, Casey's doing okay. Especially um, when you consider the construction
2: business. Casey's doing fine for himself. You know what? Yeah,
1: it's, Casey and Sever both actually doing pretty well. So Casey got a pay bump and then the lieutenant makes about 108000 So they're both doing pretty well. Also oh, so Stella just got a pay bump too. Hell yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there we go. Um, so Stella now it's going to make so more I mean- sense for Kelly and Stella to be able to afford the loft.
2: yeah. But right now, Casey's also living in the loft. So like, they can afford it between the three of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They're, they're doing okay. Oh, the uh, paramedic in charge makes about 91000 Okay. 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 So Brett's doing okay for herself too. Now, granted, this is this
2: dad is about four years old, but still. Uh, it gives us something to work with. It gives us something
1: to work with. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. All right. All right. Good to know for the future. Mm-hmm. OK, so this thing from Glassdoor says the average salary for a fire lieutenant is seventy eight thousand eight hundred thirty six per year in the U.S., which is 40 percent lower than the average Chicago fire department salary of one hundred and thirty three thousand per year for this job. OK, so damn. Yeah. Seven case, you're making like around six figures. All right. All
3: right. OK,
1: OK. Just. You know, the more you know, the more you know, <laughs> like the NBC noise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, I was just, I was thinking about Chicago real estate after this set of episodes for obvious reasons. And I just did. Something. We're always thinking about Chicago real estate, but this is the first time we've ever actually done some
2: research into Chicago real estate.
1: Well, no, actually I did some research last fall. Cause remember I went out for that promotion that would have, uh, mm. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I did a teeny bit of research, um, it just makes me miss Chicago. That's all it does. Is it just makes me
3: oh really want to go so
2: bad? I know I want to go so bad. Especially now that you and I have started planning things for like next year, I'm like, we gotta go. We gotta go to Chicago. Yeah.
1: Yep. Pretty much. Pretty much. So, um, that was the news with a healthy dose of Google facts about the salaries of uh, <laughs> CFD firefighters. Um, Yeah, you guys are the drill. If you see any news, just send it to us. You guys are really good about that. We really appreciate it, especially in a week like the one we've just had, like it was super busy. So it was very helpful to have you guys sending us stuff. Um, You guys know all about the petition that we had been circulating this week. We got the thousand signatures that were required. You guys, thank you so much. Like, great job. We could not have done that without you. Um, And regardless of what the outcome is, at least we can all say we tried, right? Yeah. And the
2: petition is still out there. It's not like it's closed or anything. So you can definitely still find it on our socials and still sign it. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, the more people that sign it, regardless of who we send it to in the future, whether, you know, creation passes on it, we use it to send it to a different con company, it'll just show that people are interested in having a One Chicago convention. So the more people who still sign it, even though we've gotten our thousand that we needed, like, the better
1: the better yeah and we just we just want to reunite with everybody and have a good weekend in Chicago and just like hang out with everybody yeah. so yeah um we've got like a record number of patron shout outs this week right since the beginning I think this is the most that we've had this is the most we've ever had yeah you guys we have six patron shoutouts today
2: what In one week, and we're not even like three weeks behind or something like this. Is like since
1: last week (laughs) incredible, incredible. Okay, so let's start with the first shout out, Sherry Gomes. I'm gonna go with Gomes or Gomez. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. I would say Gomes, it's an S, not an S. Yeah, so okay, Sherry, welcome to the family. Thank you so much for supporting us. Um, all of the new patrons, all six of you, listen up. Okay, if you have not requested entry into the Facebook group yet, go do the thing. Okay. Go do the thing. I realize we're not all on Twitter. We're not all on the same social networks, but please 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 remember to request entry into the Facebook group. So Sherry, we're so glad you're here. Welcome aboard. You're going to love it.
2: Amanda Varnon. Um, Amanda, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so, so glad you're here.
1: Yes. Um, third is Helene Gann. Uh, bonjour, Helene. Um, Helene is originally from France. I think she lives in Canada now. We were talking to her a little bit earlier this week Um, and she's sweet as can be. I know she shared the link to the petition in some other areas as well. So uh, bonjour Helene, merci for joining the Patreon group and my French is usually better than that. So um, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Emily Meyer is up next. Emily, welcome aboard. Welcome to the fam. We are so, so, so glad you are here.
1: So glad. Uh, Janelle Joyner is the fifth one up janelle welcome aboard i'm just we're so excited you guys are all here i love that our little patreon family is growing yeah
2: it's the best um and last but certainly not neat certainly not least not niece is not (laughs) nice um is sheena lavery lavery i'm gonna go with lavery um Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, but yeah, like Gina said, we are so glad that you are all here. It's a lot of, we've really, like you said, we've really enjoyed our little community. It's
1: a lot of fun. Without further ado, it is time to move into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. Oh, and before you guys, actually, before we do that, I, I keep forgetting to mention because this was the other day. You guys, make sure you listen through to the end because you're going to hear our interview with Patty. We talked to Patty earlier this week and it was wonderful. Uh, oh, we love Patty. We love Patty. He's the best. He's the best. Um I like melted in my seat when he was like it's nice to see you guys. I was like oh my god, I'm dead. Like I love him.
2: Yeah, I I love him. It's been way too long. It's it been way really too has. long.
1: It really has. Yeah. And- he's just sweet as can be. and We just love him to dearly. We love him dearly. So, um, yeah, hang, make sure you hang on all the way through to listen to our Patty interview. Like, don't forget that that's part of this. Not that you would, I don't know why I'm reminding you not to forget your most of you are probably like speeding to the end of this. So you can hear the Patty interview, but yeah, I yeah. love Patty. Just Patty. Mm.
3: Um,
1: yes. So, let's move into the episodes. All right. Starting off with med med has been good this season. This episode was chef's kiss. It really was. It really was. Yeah. The, I feel like med is just like everything that's going on. is just like bananas, but it's just captivating. It's not like season two where you're just like, there's a panda in the ED. Like I don't think see I don't even think it's bananas like I, I nothing
2: about this episode like even the cases like I feel like the cases haven't been as crazy as they typically are. Mm-hmm. like everything just feels a lot more grounded and I just I, I love I we're only three episodes in, but so far season seven I think has been my favorite
1: season. It really like, has been far. like next level. It's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. it's it's so good. Okay, we're gonna start off with my favorite redhead uh okay uh will matt and goodwin and this crazy ass triangle that's going on all right so we start this episode and will finds matt at the coffee cart and matt's got a fancy new watch and will is trying way too hard to be a little detective which like it's adorable though i mean everything he does i think is adorable brian is already rolling her eyes but <laughs> uh yeah Matt's got like a fancy new watch and Will is just not subtle at all Will's like hi Matt like, <laughs> and then he's like oh look at your new watch like he's not subtle in any way shape or form uh, as we say in Texas just like bless his heart bless his heart, bless his heart. <laughs> bless his heart. he's trying he's trying but trying plus like, your heart trying. yeah um, he's leaning real hard into the whole crying broke thing like too hard into it which, again, just bless your heart.
2: Yeah. He tries. But it's like, I don't know who's dumber. I mean, Will or Matt or, you know, Cooper for, like, Cooper for believing it or Will for, like, leaning into it as far as he has. Because, like, it's so bad. Will's like, you know, man, I went to a buddy's poker game and, like, I I lost all my money. I mean, <laughs> now I'm broke and I'm going to have to pick up graveyard shit. And he's, like, buying it. Cooper's, like, buying it. I'm like...
1: Oh, Jesus. I laughed a little harder than I was supposed to when Matt was like, You're desperate, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, Willie. Yes. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. He is desperate for multiple things for uh, money and Goodwin's approval. (laughs) So, uh, Will meets with Sharon later on, and we find out that basically all these companies that he's supposed to be getting kickbacks from are actually shell companies. So it's like, they're basically like foreign something or others like foreign hubs that are like masquerading as American companies. I've really had to explain a shell company like that before, but he's basically getting a lot of kickbacks and it's sketchy AF is the gist of it. So as that happens, like they're talking and whatever, and then Will leaves because Dr. Charles comes in and Dr. Charles is worried about Goodwin's stress levels. These little BFFs. I love them so much. They're so good. I know. The only drawback to having a friend who's a doctor though, is when Dr. Charles is like, what's your A1C? And she's like, oh my God, my blood sugar's fine. Like back off. (laughs) But yeah. yeah. Blessing and a curse. Blessing and a curse. Yes. But I I feel like it's all fun and games until like Goodwin has some sort of health crisis. And then I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be like, listen, Cooper, listen, you little shit. Come here. Like, She's our Goodwin, okay? She's not yeah, the greatest leader in the world. Goodwin
2: at all costs. Yeah, like,
1: yeah. Should she have fired Natalie and Will about ten different times between seasons one and seven? Yes, but she's our Sharon Goodwin. Like, don't you touch her? <laughs> don't touch her. Just that simple. Uh, so yeah, Doctor Charles is worried about her, which is sweet. But she's like, I'm good. Like, I've got a like a, one of those continuous glucose monitors, but you know. Let's let's not mess with Goodwin. Are we going to do this? Is she going to be the mid season finale? I really hope it's not. Oh, God. I hope not. No. Protect her at all costs. Don't touch her. Leave her alone. Mm -hmm. So then at the end, uh, a Vasic rep catches Will on his way out, and she's brand new and like she's just super uncomfortable. You can tell, but uh, she's basically trying to like pitch the Vascom to him, and Goodwin walks up at like just the right moment. So She's talking to Will and she's like, so of course we'd compensate you and everything. And then Will is just, or Good, she's like, Goodwin's over her shoulder, just like giving like the approval, the nod of approval. And Will's like, oh yeah, I'm definitely interested. Just bless his heart. Bless William. William. Just William. <laughs> oh, William. Yeah. I, I can't decide who I want on the pod more right now, if it's like Michael Rady or Nick. Um I, I'd say Michael Rady only because he's not probably
2: going to be around forever. Nick, we could get like somewhat, you know, in the future. Yeah. But Michael Rady, there's like a time limit with him. So we got to strike within <laughs> the
1: time limit. Um, it's going to be like, if we get like 15 minutes with him, it's literally going to be like five minutes of Chicago Med and then 10 minutes of every other Hallmark movie ever. like <laughs> And Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I, I have to see it at some point. We are due for another bonus episode, so... We might have to do when that. When you come
2: back from the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on, the first one is on HBO Max, so we can watch it.
1: Oh, okay. That's easy. Oh, we might be able to do that yeah. while I'm on the trip. Um, okay. Contest test out that, like, Google yeah. Chrome watch party function.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, But going back to the scene, though, real quick, Um, our friend Jennifer had tweeted, she's like, I'm choosing to believe that this woman can't get her words out because she's just so stunned by Will Halstead's good looks. And I was like, that is Gina. <laughs> That, right
1: there that's gina yeah that's that exactly would be gina. gina
2: that would be gina Hell, right
1: that there. was that was me when we interviewed patty the other day like the very first question i was just like patty and i was like stumbling over my words and in my head i was just like pull it together <laughs> so yes i think that's me with all of the one chicago men pretty much same yeah yeah same crockett for you
2: I, oh my god i've never well. I've haven't gotten to interview Dominic since I've become a Crockett fan. The only time I've interviewed him was at one Chicago day and we barely knew him. So I didn't Mm -hmm. like, it wasn't like a, you know, a thing. It was just like, oh, okay, whatever. But yeah. Oh man. If we ever get Guy Lockhart on the podcast, I'm just going to be like, oh man.
1: Guy, if you're out there, like, we just want to be your friend. That's all. Right. We just, we have so many questions. We just want to get to know you. <laughs> I may or may not have replied to his Insta story today um, from the <laughs> pod account, just being like, when are you coming to the pod? Can yeah, we, we be best we, friends? Can we be best friends? We want be to make friends. it happen.
2: Yeah. We are like dying to make it
1: happen. We're pulling out Miranda Ray Mayo and we're manifesting that shit. Manifest that ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guy and then followed by Jesse Lee offer because we have wanted that to happen since day one. Just manifest. Oh my God there's just everybody just everybody everybody yes if you are an actor on one Chicago just come on come to the podcast you can crash yeah there's literally like
2: oh man I just so many thoughts
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) who I want to come on the podcast but oh yes oh yes absolutely so but yes that is the will part we'll get into more of the will stuff later when we talk about Dylan but for now let's move into Stevie (laughs) Bryna take it away
2: Okay. So Stevie is meets her mom for breakfast and um her mom kind of gets judged at first for being homeless, but then Stevie steps in and you know saves the day. Um and so Stevie and her mom are talking and her mom, you know, Stevie hands her, you know, like some medicine that she
1: needs for we still don't know what illness, right? We don't, but judging by the comment here when she was like, you know, you need a roof over your head, I don't. I was like, Okay, is there some sort of Mental illness going on here? I don't know.
2: Anyway, but her mom is like, I'll only take the meds if you give me $1,200 or loan me $1,200 to fix the van. And Stevie's like, Well, I'd rather give you $1,200 for rent. But her mom is not having that. Her mom's like, You know, you just want to call the shots and tell me how to use it. And then her mom like storms off and they don't actually get breakfast so goodwin you know when they get to shift when they get to the er um goodwin pulls stevie and maggie aside and apparently the fosters are coming in and the fosters are huge benefactors for the hospital you know and goodwin even calls them like vips and it's just like oh jesus here we go
3: mm-hmm.
2: so um it just ends up being the what the wife the older woman has like a sprained ankle and it's not even that serious. I thought when she was going to get wheeled in, you know, she was going to have cancer, you know, like something like more intense, but she tripped and she has a sprained ankle.
1: It's like, okay. Um, okay. Look, like I, I love this show and I love these doctors in this hospital and I know they're their best, but like, just, just take a moment to like realize that there was probably somebody in that waiting room who was in far worse shape and had to wait for hours. And these two just got wheeled in for a sprained ankle because they donate so much money to the hospital. It's disgusting. I was going to
2: say though, I think it's realistic though, unfortunately. It is. And
3: that,
1: that, that just makes me sick. Like money is actually a really big reason why I got out of like the, the, like the, the, the typical like image that you have of a lawyer, like practicing law. That's why I got out. Money was a big part of it actually, because I, I realized very quickly that I can't live my life treating people differently depending on how much money they have. Sick. Yeah.
2: but um, so they end up going in and they, you know, start working on her and, the, you know, they're talking about how it happened and apparently they were, you know, in the kitchen cooking and the husband didn't smell anything burning. Um, but he's like just really like being a real asshole about the whole thing. Um, it's just... Not he, I'm like, no, bro. No, no, no. He's a dick. No. Yeah. Um, but I do love seeing Stevie and Maggie work together. Like that's mm-hmm. a really fun combo. Um, uh, because there's even, you know, like the like near mortals, speak for yourself. Like, I
1: just I love them. Yeah, like gonna um, need you guys to go out for drinks and become besties ASAP. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah. Um, so
2: they end up taking the wife to radiology, but like the husband, all he can think about is he's like, well, how long is it going to take? Because I forgot to take the chicken out of the freezer and I got to make paella tonight. And it's like, bro, like, really? I mean, yes, it is just a sprained ankle, but like, still your wife is hurt. Like you don't have to be a dick about it. Um, but anyway, so Stevie is in there alone, you know, cause Maggie takes the wife up to radiology. Stevie's in there alone talking to the husband and he starts coming straight on to Stevie about, you know, asking her if she's a runner and, you know, he could tell because of the, you know, something about her body and yada, yada, yada. And then he puts an arm on her or a hand on her. And she is like, please get that off of me. And he doesn't. And so she like rightfully, of course, like shoves his ass. Of course, though, it happens like just as Maggie returns with the wife.
1: I I really didn't like like the the they did like the soap opera camera angle right before commercial where they were like pan to her face and then pan to Maggie and then pan to the patient or whatever and like yeah Stevie was kind of freaked out obviously but I was like why why is she looking like she did something wrong you did the right thing like don't don't worry about that you're good you're good stand by what you did I think she was just afraid.
2: Not afraid is not the right word I'm looking for. I think she was just not expecting him to fall back. Mm -hmm. You know, like, a lot of times when you push someone, like, they may stumble, but they don't fall. Like, he, like, actually tripped and then fell. Like, I think she was just in shock of, like, what happened. Not that she didn't still stand by what she did. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. So then, of course stevie and goodwin and the attorney dude who's namely usually can't remember but gets called in this episode his name's peter um we'll see if we actually remember that Mm, probably not (laughs) (laughs) probably not i will still call him forever call him attorney dude attorney um but anyway so they're talking about obviously of course what happened and stevie's going through the situation and then peter just starts going off not going off but he's like "Eh, is that really you know like questioning what Stevie says and Goodwin is like did you really just question what she said right now like
1: Goodwin in this scene is pretty magnificent
2: yeah I'm like Goodwin where were you all the like where is season seven Sharon Goodwin is a very different Goodwin from season one through six and I like when it comes to how she approaches some of the like ethical and legal stuff that her doctors may or may not be doing. Mm-hmm. And I am here for it.
1: <laughs> this is a little bit of a different Goodwin, isn't it?
2: I don't know if Goodwin necessarily, like, if you told me season two Goodwin, like, if what, you know, found herself in the same situation, does she handle it the same way? I don't know.
1: You're, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, season two Goodwin would be what, 26. 2017 or 2018 and i think like the me too movement and everything was just kind of starting at that point
2: it would have been 2017 like fall 2017 you know
1: beginning 2018 yeah yeah it would have definitely gone different Um, or no
2: actually that would have been fall 2016 fall 2016 was season two wow
1: oh yeah it's season seven wow time flies (laughs) yeah that's crazy. That's crazy. Did you catch the stare that she gave Peter when she stood up though? Yeah, did you? Catch she it? was not having any of his shit. And it, it was only from the side, but you could tell like she was shooting
2: daggers. She was like, I really hate that you had to be in this conversation right now. Like- and
1: they were like gasoline soaked, like fire breathing daggers. Like she was not having it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. I would not want to be on the receiving end of that stare hell no yeah. hell no yeah.
2: so goodwin talks to jim you know the rich donor guy and he starts threatening to pull their funding that they've recently pledged for some new lab or whatever um but the wife is just like once he like so he walks out of the room and the wife is just like you know this is really out of character for him like i i really don't know why he's doing this um and Kind of half ass apologizes, but you know, it doesn't, it only goes so far, but it's not until they're leaving that Stevie really starts to put the pieces together and figure out like why he's acting so weird. So as it turns out, this guy has a tumor that's pressing on his nerve that controls sense of smell. Which hence would be why he couldn't smell something burning earlier. Um, and tumors on that part of the brain can also cause a complete change in behavior, which is why he's been acting so weird and hitting on other women and, you know, just being a total asshole. Science. Yeah. You know, science things. Just science things. Yeah. So the guy does end up apologizing and Stevie just, you know, ends up explaining that she really hates people who uses their money as leverage, you know, over other people, which same. Yeah. same. So we do kind of end things going back to Stevie and her mom and, you know, she goes back to the homeless encampment and gives her mom the $1,200 for the van. Um, even though, you know, you could tell it pained her to do so, but she does do what, you know, her mom wanted. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she realized that she was using it as leverage and she didn't want to do that. Yep, It's good. I still want to get yep. to know her more. It's it, it's hard to like really get in depth on her stuff without really knowing her. Well, I want,
2: I would like to get to know her more like mom aside. Mm-hmm. Like obviously that's a big part of who she was and who she grew up, you know, how she grew up and, you know, played a role in who she is now. But like- she also is just more than that too and I'll be curious to see how that like slowly unfolds yeah and why did she come back to Chicago right it's kind of hinted at that it has to do with her mom but like there's still a lot there to unpack yeah
1: absolutely absolutely so um moving from one newbie to the other we got to talk about Dylan Dylan oh my god I
2: we need to already need some kind of like dylan scott appreciation squad like i just i love him yeah i love him yeah i love him
1: i, love I him. cannot say it enough i cannot say it enough he is the best like he's amazing
2: i don't think i've ever loved a character so quickly okay. i definitely not on med but i don't know maybe in any show i mean like i love him we fell for mackie pretty quickly yeah, but then she didn't, I don't know, like, Mackie was good, but I don't know. She didn't stick around like it did, you know, it's kind of.
1: No, Dylan's amazing. This is, Dylan's amazing. And you know the only Dylan, thing Dylan, amazing... I love Dylan way more
2: than I ever loved Mackie. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, the only thing more amazing than this Dylan story is the fact that we started it with Dylan and Kevin. I never knew oh I my needed God. this.
2: Oh my God. This is, a pro- I need more of this romance, like,
1: just give it to me all the time this opening scene with them was everything i wanted and more also we have to talk real quick about laurice's arms we really we we have to we have to we have
2: to we have to it'd be a sin not to it'd be a sin not to
1: Leroy's arms were like the fourth character in that scene like (laughs) they really were though especially
2: because the scene kicks off and he's like you know, hit, or hitting the ball off of his forearm and it's just like oh my god.
1: God bless the costume department for that sleepless
2: hoodie. But actually though just
1: mm. everything about that worked. <laughs> Every single thing.
2: Yeah I'm really at a loss for words. Like we said we have to talk about it but I'm really just still at a loss for words. It's
1: that good. Let's just all take a moment to appreciate LaRoyce's arms shall we? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> he looked really good um, you know he looked really good i mean he always looks good but like always always that as our friend extra. christine always says batman man Batman." man <laughs> oh my goodness Batman! man though so we start off on the basketball court and it's not just kev but enter zora zora being dylan's sister i don't know her she's barely said two words but i love her already
2: yeah, like, I don't think we, I mean, we obviously knew that he came from a family of cops and, you know, his dad was a cop and you. We, we've we heard all this. But I'm like, Zora kind of came out of nowhere and I'm like, I, I need more of her, please. I like her. She's cool. I like her. Yeah. yeah. She wasn't afraid to put, like, Kevin in his place and Dylan in his
1: place. Like, I, I I love her. Same, same. Everybody's first question, the minute we saw Zora, we were like, holy shit, is that the girlfriend? wouldn't that be amazing though that would be amazing especially if the first time we meet her is on on med i would love that
2: oh man and like she's a fellow cop and so she gets it and like oh man i just give it i i don't think it's gonna happen but like give it to me
1: manifesting it i'm manifesting it she and kevin would have been damn good right I'm just I'm crossing my fingers. Like I really hope she's the girlfriend. I don't think she is, but I'm really hoping she is. Just give it to us. Give I, us. I I shipped it two seconds in. I was like, done. Zora and Kevin. I'm in. I'm in. Right, and then I was
2: really hoping that eventually, like Kevin would pop back up at the end of the episode, and we could see another scene of the three. And it didn't happen. And I was like, ah, damn. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Dylan and Zora have this, like, really funny banter. Zora's just like, do you always roll up late to your surgeries? Uh, and I loved when she, like, went back to telling Kevin the story about whatever drug bust. She's like, we popped the door off the hinges and all this crazy shit happens. I was just like, I'm in. I'm in. I've barely known Zora for a minute and I'm in.
2: <laughs> so Yeah,
1: love her. So as that's happening, um, they basically, they hear gunshots in the building across the street. And so... Um, they, they basically go and investigate. And at this point, I actually, I completely forgot at this moment that Dylan's a former cop because, like, as they're, like, <laughs> going along the side of the building and Zora and Kev have their guns drawn, I'm just, like, Dylan looks ridiculous right now. Like, what is he going to do? He's just going to tag along without a gun and just be, like, what's he going to do? Jump out of the perp and be, like, boom. Like, I was, like, yeah, he looks ridiculous. But then when Zora said it, I was, like, former cop. Yes, Gina. Duh. Like, yeah, uh, I guess once a cop always a cop but yeah. yeah yeah It's I guess it's just kind of in him like the minute he hears gunshots to just like that switch flips um, mm-hmm. but yeah and he was going to follow them inside and I was like what What are you doing what are you doing but Zora caught him Zora's like you need to stand down like you're not the police anymore um, and most I feel like most med characters would like internalize that and like it would kind of bug them the entire episode and this didn't get him down the way it would another character on med did you notice that no
2: i mean no it didn't get him down yes i did notice that um yeah no it didn't at all um it's just such everything about him is just so
1: refreshing that's the perfect way to put it yes yes just yeah. chef's kiss Mwah. so they find a little boy who's been shot and uh uh, I'm, I'm guessing he's the big brother by the way he reacted. Cause like Kevin ran after the first kid and that was like the end of that. And the minute Zora went up the stairs alone, he was like, well, fuck this. Kevin's got on following. So I'm guessing he's the big brother. He might not be, who knows, but they find a little boy upstairs who's been shot. They were playing like superheroes and supervillains or something. That was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but also take a drink. Cause Dylan's being perfect with kids again, just
2: i know i mean i know he is like an emergency pe- like doing double residency right like emergency and pediatrics mm-hmm. but like seeing dylan with kids will just never not get old
1: Nope. Oh. nope perfect perfect Okay. So, um, and, and, you know, we'll talk when we get to Crockett and Vanessa, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the quick detail is that Crockett and Vanessa's patient was named Gina in this episode. Of course, uh, we got a text from her friend, Jennifer, right in the middle of the episode. And she was just like, Oh, Gina's being seen by Crockett tonight. And I was like, that's the only way I'd have it um, unless I have a choice. Then it's either Crockett or Dr. Scott, one of the two. So <laughs> I'm cool with it. You mean you really wouldn't, I mean, yes, obviously Crockett and
2: dylan clearly seemed to be the superior doctors but like you're telling me if you didn't have a choice you gina you like you wouldn't pick will
1: only because i watched the show like if i didn't watch the show i would just be like who's the redhead if i since i watched the show i'm like well i know all the twists and shit you've done in the past seven seasons no i'm just talking because because you love him I do love him, but I know the crazy shit he does. I have no Fair. doubts that Fair. he I have no doubts that he would take care of me and I like wouldn't die under his care, but I'm a very anxious person so I need somebody who can like calm it down. So like given the way Fair. Crockett is with his patients and how he's like very calm and nurturing, like that would be perfect. I will's a little frantic. I can't that won't help me. Fair. I mean, I'll stare at Will from across the hospital, but (laughs) so Will and Dylan are working together this week, which I like this pair. This is actually a really good pair. So they get a patient who got hit by a car and she's, she's some sort of influencer. Like she has a website, but she also has lupus and there's this really uncomfortable moment with, I'm guessing what we call a candy striper. Is that still a thing in hospitals?
2: It said volunteer on the, like, vest she was wearing. So I guess we would
1: just say volunteer. Volunteer, yeah. And she was, like, on the cart, she had, like, a bunch of candy. So, yeah, maybe that's what it was. But uh, she basically, like, sees this woman and she's like, oh, my God, you're so-and-so. Like, your newsletter, like, changed my life. Holy crap. And she just mentioned she's just like, you know, you encouraged me to get checked for lupus and, you know, but your website said you're in a flare-up. Like, are you doing okay? And Will and Dylan are both just kind of like, um uh, what do we do with this? But when, uh, when she walks away, Dylan's like, okay, so you're in a lupus flare up. Like, what are you taking? And she's like, I don't take any meds. And Will's just like, uh, but, and then she just goes, she goes, anything I tell you in regard to my health is protected by patient confidentiality. Right. Honey, if you're expecting people to follow the rules, you are at the wrong hospital. Yeah. You
2: better go over to, um, Lakeshore like shore or whatever that mercy, whatever lady but, mercy that justice hospital. Else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Maybe try Gross Point where Stevie came from. um yeah, maybe, maybe there's some sort of a confidentiality there, but <laughs> this hospital, especially when Will is in the room, oh honey. Oh honey. yeah hmm. Turns out she's not in a flare- up. she's in remission. Uh, and this, the, the contrast between Dylan and Will is hilarious because Dylan is solely focused on the medical, but Will is like surfing her website. Will's just like, Will's digging for dirt basically. And he's like, well, she's soliciting donations. And Dylan's just like, okay, like do you, whatever. Do you think she's pocketing them? And Will's just like, well, you'd be surprised the lengths people go to to make a buck. And the whole time this is happening, Dylan's just like, oh God, like,
2: He's trying to play detective two weeks in a row and it's not working out for him. No,
1: no. But also, LOL, that this is Dylan's first case with Will and already he's just like, stop it, stop it. Just yeah, stop. he's like, I'm not here for this bullshit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the patient wants to explain and again, Dylan just doesn't give a fuck but just the the, the shade in this scene is just, mwah.
0: I feel like I should explain. You don't have to explain anything to
4: us. I launched this website a few months after I was diagnosed with lupus.
0: When life gives you lupus?
4: Oh, you saw it. Well, the only reason I haven't advertised my remission is because, I mean, you saw that woman who approached me? The website is a lifeline for so many, and I felt that, you know, bragging about my remission, it would
0: kind of dilute the message.
4: And messaging is key, right? Especially
0: when, when it comes to fundraising. Any questions for us, Candace?
1: Like, tell me your over Will shit without telling me your over Will shit. It's amazing.
2: Like every time Dylan just like rolled his eyes, I was like, oh my god, I love him.
1: But there's Even like more. passive aggression coming from both ends because Will's just like, yeah, I can under, I can imagine like fundraising is really important, <laughs> and then Dylan's just like, any questions for us? Right about medical shit <laughs> about medical shit. The thing we're here for. <laughs> um, so. Will comes to Dylan later and Will's like, dude, I want to call the charities on this website. And Dylan's like, would you calm the fuck down? Like, holy shit. So Dylan goes, I'm a doctor, not a cop. And neither are you. You sure seem to get off on acting like one though. Maybe it's just like an inferiority complex. He's just like, I wish I was as cool as Jay. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, William. (laughs) William. Oh man. But Yeah, so Dylan's like, calm the fuck down, like, stop it. But then Dylan has his own moment with the patient. And this is really sweet.
4: I'm not one of those people who pretends to be sick to, like, feed their ego or scam people out of money, I swear.
0: I believe you. can usually tell when someone's shooting straight with me, and I think you are. Thanks. But I will say, your fear that your message will lose its impact if it's not delivered from the trenches. I don't know if that's true. If anything, you give people hope.
3: I've considered that, but
0: if
4: I'm being completely honest, it's not just about the messaging. Before I was diagnosed with
0: lupus, I was pretty much a loner, but
4: this disease, it gave me a community for the first time in my life. And if they know that I'm in remission.
0: You'll feel like an outsider. Yeah, I get it. But you know, uh, Walking a path that isn't yours, there's a steep price to that, too.
1: Dylan could give me life advice, like, anytime. Again,
2: I just love him. Like, I, I feel like this is just, like, I feel like this is just gonna be me every week. Like, again, I just love him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just love him. Just love him. Just love him. But also, I guess they're trying to drive home the point that, like, now that he's not PD, he feels like a little bit of an outsider. Like, they didn't... They didn't really, like, I mean, there's, like, undertones of it. They didn't really, like, shove it in our face. But I guess that's what they're getting at.
2: It wouldn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he's, obviously, his medical career is still fairly new.
1: Um, You know? But, yeah. So, I don't know. The whole time the episode's going on, um, Dylan is checking on Michael, the little kid from the warehouse. And so he finally gets word that Michael's Okay. And he basically is just, again, perfect with this kid. He's just like, you know, maybe we learned something about guns, like name a superhero with a gun. And he's like, we don't need them. And he like says it in superhero voice, which is the best. And I just, that moment made me realize I was like, I need, I need Dylan and Severide and kids in one scene. I I need it. Oh my God. Like.
3: I've yes. already got a,
1: a, a story in line for an episode where like Severide brings in some kid from some call they had, and then like Dylan's in charge, and like boom! Oh right there. my, just that crowd Yes, done. Can done. somebody go write that,
2: Vic? Please, I need it. I need yeah. it.
3: Sliver
1: I need it. Yeah. Uh, so once that's all said and done, Dylan actually gets some praise from Archer. What? Yeah,
2: I mean, Archer. Huh? I mean, right. I, I Dylan deserves it, but it's like, Archer, really?
1: Okay. okay. Is he okay? Okay. All right. I'm not complaining. Um, but then there's another twist. Candace, the lupus patient, she's not in remission. Will is the one who sluts that out. Um, but again, we just, Dylan just comes through with like the sage life advice.
0: Listen, I know you feel like you lost your tribe right now, but understanding it's a process. You did your part laying out your truth. Now give them a chance to get there. Those who you want in the trenches with you, they'll come around.
1: Dylan for president. Yeah, but actually, though. Dylan for president.
2: Yeah. Switch careers for a second time. It's fine.
1: Like Scott Marcel 2024. I don't know. Yeah. Or like. Scott, Scott, make Zora his VP. I'd be cool with that. (laughs) More Zora, please. More Zora. Just more Zora. Um, But
2: I guess speaking of Zora, so we had, you know, a listener question. And Haley G said, so if Dylan knew Jay from the Academy, does that mean Dylan's sister knows Atwater from the Academy? Like, are they around the same age? I I mean, I get. I think maybe I mean we don't really know that much so
3: I think you could I probably assume
2: that I just hope we get more Zora like even I mean yes in our head cannons and like we're still manifesting it but like we're hoping the Zora and Atwater end up together but even if that doesn't happen like give me more Zora and Dylan like bring Zora back yes please I have a hard time feeling like they didn't go through all of that and introduce her to not bring her back. Like that's would seem like a lot. Yeah. But who knows?
1: Help bring her in on PD. We need another female in intelligence. That too. Just saying. That too.
2: There's still
1: an open spot, technically. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that is Dylan and Will and Dylan for president, and I love it. And, yeah, so moving on to Vanessa and Crockett. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Lots Go. to discuss.
2: Take, it, take anyway. it away. Okay. Okay so we start out and Vanessa you know because at the end of last week's episode obviously Crockett agreed to be her advisor mentor I forget the term that they're calling it but anyway and so they're sitting down like having this little meeting and Vanessa presents him with like her life's binder for the next 10 years her life plan um and Crockett is like, whoa, you are really prepared. Because it's literally this like full on binder with color coded tabs and pictures and like a table of contents. I mean, it is like
1: legit. Vanessa definitely watched Parks and Rec and loved Leslie Nope. See, that means nothing to me. Binders were her thing. Okay. I
2: was you gotta that watch means Parks and nothing.
1: Rec at some point.
2: That's uh, not gonna happen. It's comedy. It's not. It's probably not gonna happen. Um, just being honest, it's probably not gonna happen. Uh, but anyway, so Crockett is like, he's like impressed and also half terrified. He's like, I don't really know what to think. But he does, you know, tell her he's like, you know, planning leads to expectations and expectations can lead to disappointments because he doesn't really have an idea of like what the next 10, you know, he doesn't really think about the future, which obviously makes sense because after, you know, losing his daughter, I can't imagine, you know, he thought he had his life planned out, I'm sure. And that kind of threw everything for a loop. So I'm sure he doesn't like to really think about it and think about what the future could have been. But anyway, so all of a sudden they get at this patient and she's got some kind of growth in her neck. Um, Thankfully, it actually it's not cancerous, but it does extend all the way down into her chest. But she does not want surgery. She's very adamant about that. Um, And so Crockett says that they have to tread lightly. And he's like, "Okay, let's bring Dr. Charles in like just to be on the safe side, like you know just to be on safe side. So Dr. Charles does come in and talk to the patient, which like we mentioned earlier is weirdly enough named Gina.
1: This is like the third time they've had a patient named Gina too. You should feel honored. I should feel honored. Uh, first one was actually in the pilot, believe it or not. Uh, Of of med. Yeah. You just, you know, these things when your name pops up on a show, you just know random shit. Um, My name will never pop up on a show. So I've just accepted that. Maybe it will. You never know.
2: Maybe it will. Maybe it will one day. Who knows? Um, But anyway, she had hoped, you know, like because of COVID and stuff, they were telling people to stay away from hospitals if necessary, you know, unless it was necessary. And so she, you know, really avoided it for a long time and she hoped it would go away and was too afraid to schedule. And then she just got to the point where she was just afraid to schedule an appointment for what fear of like what it could have been. And then she starts coughing up blood. Which, obviously, not normal.
3: But she still is
2: not... Yeah. But she still is not wanting to have the surgery. So, thanks to some help from Anna Charles, um, Dr. Charles shows her a future image of herself, like, aged up, and, you know, tries to get her to think about what the future, you know, could be. Um, And this is enough to convince her to you know agreed to the surgery and then we we get this like kind of awkward final scene with archer and dr charles because so earlier in the episode archer had made this announcement to everyone in the ed that they had this new like patient logging in system they had to start using about you know like basically tracking like patient turnover time and there's some kind of like weird competition for whoever can get the most you know turnovers by the end of the month gets like tickets to Black blackhawks game anyway whatever and so archers goes up to dr charles and's like you didn't log any patients and dr charles is like well yeah it's kind of stupid for um you know psych- psychiatry because you know we have to spend time getting to know patients and you know that's the only way we're going to help them with their problems. So we can't, you know, just turn patients over. And then Archer's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. And he's like, well, maybe psychiatry doesn't belong in the ED. And Dr. Charles is just like, what? <laughs> and like literally starts like laughing in his face. And it's like, yeah, are you an idiot, Archer? Like, really?
1: He basically gave him, like, the Dr. Charles version of, like, <laughs> cool story, bro. <laughs> like, I enjoyed like, that. Yeah,
2: JK, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's going to be kind of the tension over the next couple episodes, I would imagine, is, like, does psychiatry belong in the ED and Archer trying to, like, get rid of Dr. Charles? Which is not going to happen, bro. But
1: anyway. You know, I think part of the reason this episode was so good is because there was minimal Archer. Oh my God. Yes. It was amazing. Yeah. More episodes like this, please,
2: please, please. So Vanessa walks into the doctor's lounge and finds Crockett, like looking at an aged up version of himself.
1: Um, Okay. So I caught something in this that I, I, I know you think I'm ridiculous for this just because I know you, but the minute they showed aged up Crockett, I was like, why does he look like Bradley Whitford? (laughs) am I I'm out of my mind right you think I'm crazy yeah a little bit <laughs> I mean maybe it was like the lightish hair on top I don't know but I was just like he looks like Bradley Whitford why does he look like Bradley Whitford I don't know.
2: um and so you know obviously because Crockett had been talking about not really paying attention to his future and he says you know like maybe it's not such a bad idea to give some thought as to where I want to end up and then this is the moment that got the internet talking. This and the promo for next week. Um, so Vanessa, like, touches his shoulder at the end. And definitely not in, like, a platonic mentor-mentee. Like, definitely some, like, tension going on there.
1: What are we um, doing with these two?
2: Okay, well, then, okay. So then next week's promo sets it up as, like, clearly... I but vanessa clearly has some kind of crush or something on him because vanessa same. she's like i mean yeah same but she's showing up to shifts like 30 minutes early and then there's some kind of like weird hand holding and like maggie started to notice it but anyway it's very clearly gonna continue into next week's episode um but i don't know
1: what we're setting ourselves up for I'm with you on this one, though. I'm cool with whatever. Like, if you want to keep it mentor-mentee, all right, that's cool. But if you wanted to take it there, I don't think I'd hate it. Okay, so
2: I feel like we need to set this up. So in our group text with the girls from Ladies Night and the locker room, like, and at, like right as the episode was beginning, we were talking about this very thing. We were. And it, it was a t- topic of discussion. And we were talking about it. And then it kind of happened by the end of the episode. And we were like, wait, did we just predict that? Like, huh? Yeah. Here's where I fall on it. I don't think I would hate if they ever went there. I also, if they just decide to remain as mentor-mentee, I don't think I would hate that. Obviously, I love that relationship. I would not hate that either. My problem with, I think, if they go there, it. I I just hope they don't rush into it and, like, ruin it. I would like it to be, like, a very slow, slow, slow – if they were to go there. Yeah. Like, I don't need them to, like, next week be together. Like, that's uh That would be nah. odd. That would be weird. I'm um, okay with it,
1: though. If they want to go there, and like, it's, like, I'm cool with it.
2: Yeah. Or, like, maybe not super slow, but if, like, by the end of the season, they – think you know, fine. I don't think I would hate it. Uh, But I'm also really okay if they just keep it mentor-mentee. Like, I, you know, I'm really okay with that too.
1: Yeah, it would get a little awkward since they're, like, you know, she's basically working under him. Um, Yeah. I was going to say it could be very much like a Sutton and Richard kind of relationship, but Sutton and Richard didn't work, like, directly under each other.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's, like, a good example
1: eliza and charles ish 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 yeah she worked under charles Mm-hmm. granted i don't know how they ended up because i stopped younger because it just got ridiculous but yes i would give that <laughs> yeah
2: but anyway um so some of our listeners sent in some thoughts about this. Um, Megan R said Crockett is the best option for an advisor to Vanessa. His calm nature and motivational speaker second life may be what she needs. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, Kim said also Crockett and Vanessa no, <laughs> uh, but she also said I'm kind of into the combative relationship between Archer and Dr. Charles. As much as I hated Archer, there's an oddly humorous element to his thorn in everyone's side approach that I enjoy. The fact that he gives a compliment and no one knows if it's sincere makes me laugh. That that is kind of amusing when he's just like the people are like, "What? What? I did something good?" Um, but otherwise, he's a pain in the ass. Yeah.
2: Um, and then Joseph's otter said, "Can we get rid? Just get rid of Archer now? Like this new portal thing is really turning the ED into a car wash, like Scott said. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Charles, but Archer trying to get rid of him by taking Psych out of the ED, just
1: no." how frustrating is it when you go to the doctor and like, you know, you go through the steps of like getting your ass there, filling out the pain in the ass paperwork, waiting and everything. And then the next thing, you know, like two, like the doctor walks in, the doctor walks out and two minutes have gone by and you're like, what? What? Yeah. It's, it's, I, yeah, it's crazy. It's like just what Archer is pushing is like everything that's wrong with like capitalism. Well,
2: and then to take it even further, my dad and I have this conversation a lot about like, and then what they code those visits, obviously for like insurance purposes. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, it's wild. It's a giant scam. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the only other question I have about med is like, how is Ethan going to fit into all of this when he comes back? That's a great question. I don't know. And I wonder if that's going to
2: be part of the storyline of like, where does Ethan fit into all, you know? Yeah.
1: I don't know. Yeah. And it, it's odd too. Cause when you watch these episodes, I mean, I feel like, I feel like by having, I mean, we lost Natalie in April and by, by also having Ethan gone, even if it's temporarily, it feels like a whole new show. Like it feels like mm-hmm. when you're watching, you're like, Whoa, this show had an overhaul and now there's like hardly any old nope. phases.
2: Yeah, because even though Archer is technically old, he's still new enough that you know it feel it still feels like a different show, right? Um, yeah, and then Vanessa same way. Even though she's new, you know, old because she was introduced last season, like she's still new. Yeah. So
1: yeah, yeah. So right now um, we're really only working with what four original characters?
2: Original, as in day like, one. Day one. Does, Goodwin, so? You're Charles- saying Brian
1: T. counts. Uh, well, with him missing, I mean, we're only working with four.
2: Will, Goodwin, Goodwin. oh, Goodwin, Maggie,
1: Charles, yeah, yeah. In a cast of what? There, the cast is like what nine people on Med. So, well, you add in Archer, Dylan, Crockett.
2: Stevie, Crockett, Vanessa, yeah, yeah. So, and then Ethan. So yeah, but even if you when Ethan comes back, it'll be
1: five and five. So yeah, still, it will. It's like half
2: cast half
1: OGs yeah yeah which I'm fine with and I'm not complaining at all it's just the dynamic feels different this year but I'm not complaining I love all of the newbies a lot they're all I mean like I said I think so far if season
2: seven keeps going the way that seven like these first three episodes have been and obviously three is a very small sample size but still I think seven's gonna be by far my favorite season of men
1: yeah yeah it's really really good really good it's just like so good yeah it's
2: yeah it's so good
1: so any other notes about med
2: no just a a solid episode like a really solid good episode really solid and I don't say that just to say like
1: it's a really good episode moving into fire which like my heart oh my god I was not expecting this episode to deliver as many feels as it did make you cry didn't make me cry, but yeah, I like the, the emotions. I was like, what are these things I'm feeling? Oh, yeah. man,
2: I I, I I cried. I think I was already in an emotional state because I watched um, something before I started watching One Chicago and I saw a character death and I was like, oh, man. So I already cried at that. And then I went into One Chicago and I was like, just emotional. You weren't watching What If, so. were you? I haven't seen it yet. No. Okay, But it's really the what F episode this week I thought was really good. No, okay. I was watching on my block. Okay. I don't watch that. So we're safe. We're good. Okay. Whew. You should. It's so good. But um, anyway, but yes, I, this was very emotional. Okay. So
1: Casey and Griffin just, oh, oh man. my God. Okay. I feel like we learned a lot from this, like a lot. Okay. So Stella and Severide and Casey are getting ready for shift and griffin just wanted a place from home so he's crashing on their couch just so innocent and sweet
2: one of the first things i thought about though i was like what if they weren't in town like griffin shows up in chicago they're not there like where is he staying because clearly he probably can't afford a
1: hotel so like what was his like plan b (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, but also Casey and Sev don't really go out of town, so I think they're okay. I
2: know, I was just saying, but like Griffin hasn't talked to them in nine years, how does he know they don't go out of town?
1: I know. Are they Facebook friends? They have got to be Facebook friends. But does Griffin use Facebook? I know the youngins don't really use Facebook these days.
2: No, he's on like Instagram, maybe, TikTok or whatever, all those things that Severide and Casey are not on.
1: Casey only has an Instagram because Brett started it for him. He doesn't check it though. Yeah, I was going to say, Casey doesn't upload it unless Brett uploads it for him. Exactly.
2: Severide. Does Severide have an Instagram? No, no.
1: Severide no, wants to get socials. on Instagram.
2: If he wants to get on Instagram,
1: he just looks at Stella's. Yeah, no, he's an absolute ghost on social media. Stella, however, is on everything. Stella and Miranda, Oops. their social media habits are like one.
2: Yeah, Stella's, like, half-influencer, too. Like, she's, like, obviously, it's not, like, her job, but she's definitely, like, an
1: in influencer
2: status. Yeah. I could see it.
1: And then Brett's all about, like, the creative one, So she's all about Insta. She loves Pinterest. Um, uh, Brett, yes. Pinterest is Brett's BFF. That's her jam, yeah. She definitely has Etsy on her phone. Um, oh, ha- have you seen her lemon wallpaper? Of course she does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, so Griffin is just like passed down on the couch. And I love the comment Severide made when Seb was like, This reminds me of the days when like Andy was on my couch for like a full year. I love it. So sweet. It's so sweet. Uh, so then as they're leaving, Stella's like, Well, should we wake him? Like, what do we do? And Casey's like, No, he's going to come by the firehouse later. And as he's shutting the door, the dad face, like the look uh, of approval of just like, That's my boy. It's so good. We had like peak dad Casey this week. Peak. We really did. And if, if it's
2: just going to keep growing, oh man, we're here in for it. like a ride. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So Griffin stops by the firehouse and everybody's just kind of sitting around telling their Darden stories about like pranks he used to pull, just like things like that. And even Bowden is there. I completely forgot Bowden got a promotion at this point because he was just sitting around <laughs> the table. I was like, this is normal. And then he's like, oh, I have to get back to 90. I'm like, oh Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: He, he For t- that, t- that place that you are at now. Yeah,
1: that's right. So Casey and Griffin, they're getting ready to leave when shift is over. And Griffin mentions that part of the reason he came to Chicago is because he wants to hear how his dad died. And he says, he's like, I was only six when it happened. So nobody told me anything just that he was a hero. Okay. Okay. Wait, he was not, six. Yeah, we gotta- <laughs> he was not six. I was he gonna was say, eleven. We gotta discuss this. Okay,
2: he was eleven in season two. So, based on like the pilot, my guess is when Andy actually died, he was like nine. You know, nine at the youngest, maybe nine or ten, something yeah. like that. um But yeah, he was
1: not six. <laughs> he was not six. There was no way he was eight in season two. Like. I I, and I get why they had to make him six because if they're trying, if they're trying to make it that Casey's gonna adopt them, there's no point if Griffin's over 18, right? No point, right? But But also, like, did did they really think we wouldn't know this? Like, we wouldn't go back to the old seasons and pull receipts. Did they really think we wouldn't do that?
2: Honestly, I think you could have just made a comment about like, I, I think it was honestly more glaring that they said, oh, it was only six when it happened. Like, if they had just kind of like fudged it and said, like, oh hey I'm 17 now or something like that like I don't think they needed to make it like so crazy you know like because let's say what if he was truly 11 in season two that would make him what 20 20. now 19 20 yeah I don't think I think it's more reasonable if they just kind of fudged it from that point and been like oh hey I'm 17 and like not make it sound like he was six when because
1: that no that just sounds weird Ben was like five or six when it happened not Griffin yeah because he's like eight
2: or so when he lives with casey something like that yeah so yeah there was no way ben was four when darden died like that's not happening
1: i just like I, i have questions when things like this happen i'm just like you couldn't go back to the archives to just like double check that like
2: well, and I just wish, that, again, if this was them truly doing it for, like, story purposes, okay, fine, I get it. But, like, I just, it's so, it just seems
1: so weird. It does. It does. Seems very weird. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, and 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 the whole internet caught this. The whole internet was like, he was not six years old. He wasn't. No. It, yeah. No. I get it why they're having to budget so that it makes sense if Casey does, in fact, adopt the boys, but, like, still. But also, even if he's... What? Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, even if he is, like, of age, if he's, like, 19 or 20, they could also set it up that, like, maybe Casey sells the watch to, like, pay for college tuition or something. I don't know. Now I'm just spitballing.
3: But...
2: Well, even if...
1: Even if Griffin is 19,
2: 20... I mean, granted, Griffin didn't need, you know, whatever, you know, didn't need Casey or, you know, to be... Casey For Casey to be his guardian. But there's still Ben. Ben would still be under 18. Like... Ben could still, you know, go live with Casey or what, like, if they didn't need to fudge it to make Griffin also under 18. Like Ben would have been under 18.
1: Yeah. So in my head, uh, I'm keeping it that in, in my head, Griffin is 20. I don't care what anybody says. Griffin is 20. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just whatever, whatever happens in the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to be like, that's fine. Cause Griffin's 20 years old. So uh, yeah, just got that one wrong. Yeah. Continuity fail. But, you know, you know, they uh, happen sometimes sometimes they happen. Yeah, sometimes they happen. So the conversation pivots at that point, too, because like Casey was like, come on, we'll go to breakfast. And Griffin's like, no, I want to hear how my dad died. And Casey's like, come on, let's go to the house. And so they go to the house where Andy died. And this is the house, guys, like the permits even said, like pilot house. Uh, I was not expecting this scene to go as hard as it did. Oh, man. Yeah, let's just listen to the
2: clip and then, yeah, we'll talk.
4: What about the brother? You make it?
3: What? What's wrong?
0: That is exactly what your dad would have wanted to know. (sighs) The
4: brother wasn't home after all. that's what makes your dad such a hero. He didn't need to know there was someone in trouble.
0: He only needed to know there was a chance there was. I'm so sorry. So sorry, Griffin. (laughs) I miss him. Every day. (sighs) Me too.
2: I wasn't expecting this scene, A, just in general. Like, obviously, seeing Casey standing in front of that house, like, really brought back something. But the way they interspersed it with the footage from the pilot of the scene.
1: Oh, man. Like. That that wasn't even the part that got me. What got me was hearing Casey retell the story. Because I feel like we learned a lot from... Casey retelling the story that we didn't know from that day yeah like we didn't know we didn't know in the pilot that all Darden need to hear all he needed to hear was that there was like the chance somebody was inside we didn't know that about him the all we knew about Darden was like the two seconds in the truck on the way to the call where you know he and Severide were giving each other shit
2: well and it's so it's interesting too because I don't remember it's been a long time since I've gone back and rewatched like early early season one and like when Severide and Casey really make up. But like all I really remember is obviously Severide blamed Casey. Casey blamed Severide. Mm -hmm. And for this, it seemed like Casey, I mean, I obviously don't want to put the blame on Casey, but it seemed like Casey really truly believes now that it was his fault. I wonder what Severide thinks. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Like Severide obviously went in. He didn't, Casey's like, I didn't know that, you know, Severide, you know, squad didn't leave a vent open or whatever. Um. So Casey kind of has started, you know, at least different from the early days. Like Casey has put the blame a little bit on himself, and Casey feels guilty that it was his fault that he sent in Andy without knowing that Squad hadn't done that yet.
1: Yeah, and that was that was interesting, and it was also interesting hearing Casey talk about how much Darden meant to him. Again, we didn't know all of these things from like the three minutes that we knew Andy in and the pilot.
2: I mean, I think we kind of knew. A little bit, you know, through season one and season two about how much Darden meant to Casey only because of comments like, you know, about how they were best friends. And then especially once Griffin and Ben come to live with him early on, obviously the fact that Heather and Andy decided to make Casey their guardian, if anything ever happened to Mm -hmm. them. So, I mean, and that's obviously a big thing like you don't just make anybody the guardians of your children um especially over family members like that's just not something that happens Mm -hmm. so I think we kind of threw comments here and there but yeah it's definitely it's something we haven't
1: obviously talked about in a really long time and so Yeah, yeah it was it was good to revisit it but also it's been 10 years and that house is still damaged
2: Yeah, a lot of people made that comment on the internet about like, they were like, I'm surprised it wasn't torn down by now. And I'm like, I guess not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 10 years later, and like, we've done nothing. Okay. All right. Whatever. Um, Um, Did you see though, I was gonna say real quick, did you see
2: though, obviously, we love the Wolf Entertainment account and all their little like behind the scenes gems. Did you see about how their comment about how they had, you know, in order to change that house back into what it, you know, what it would have looked like um, after all these years, they were talking about having to like paint the soot on the like outside of the house and putting the tarp, you know, like to look like it had actually been affected by a fire. I just think that stuff is like so cool.
1: There's so much work that goes into it that people just don't realize it's it's I wouldn't have even thought
2: of like, I just I wouldn't have even thought about it, especially Cause that's probably just otherwise a normal house. But in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a burn up house. Like, what does it matter? Like they just went (laughs) back there to film, but
1: no, that's probably in real life, a normal house. But also Um, that's the kind of thing that like, obviously we see it for two seconds in a scene, but for somebody on the crew, like it was their sole job to make that house look like it had been through a fire and somebody spent hours on the details of that house, making it look real. And for us, it's right. something we only see for a few seconds, and we're just like, oh, okay, that's the house. But it's crazy. Yeah. So much goes into it. Mm-hmm. Nuts. Yeah. So then Casey and Griffin are walking by the Riverwalk, and I knew exactly where they were, too. Like, the, I saw the stairs, and I was like, Bryna and I were there the last time we were in Chicago. I was just like, I miss it. I uh, oh, knew exactly I'm where they to were. to plan a trip back. But after, after, by the end of
2: this episode, I'm be like, okay, so flights, okay. <laughs> so, so like, what weekend guess- are you
1: free okay good let's go then right we're <laughs> not
2: free this weekend because you're coming here like
1: okay got it like yeah. it's probably happening yeah it's probably happening yeah so it's gonna happen yeah um so then they're walking by the river walk and griffin mentions that he doesn't want to leave and we get we get we get some more details as to what's really going on at home
4: it's been so great stella is really cool so is sylvie yeah, I think so too. Severide's a lot funnier than I remember. <laughs> All right, you say so.
3: You guys have been so nice to me.
4: You're your family, Griffin. Always will. Be. Uh,
1: my heart breaks for this kid. I, I same literally the the day his dad died is the day that like his life just fell apart through no fault of his own
2: right well and honestly the line that got me is that when griffin's you know telling casey he's like you know because that time we lived with you like that was the last time we ever felt normal like we were standing on solid ground and it's been going to hell ever since i was like oh my god i i just destroyed me destroyed me
1: yeah and, like, how did Griffin, how, Griffin went out of his way to, like, get the money together to get on a plane and go to Chicago because, like, that's where he felt safe. Just- well, and thinking about it too,
2: um, you know, going back to, like I said, when that line and why I think part of it destroyed me so much is because obviously when they first came to live with Casey, like Griffin wasn't having any of Casey's shit. Like if Griffin was like, I don't want to be here. Like you suck. I just want to go home to my mom. Like Griffin was not having any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Casey, you know, turned him around and, you know, they had a great experience by the end of it. But like the fact that they had that relation at ship it just you know like it I think it shows how much Casey meant to them during that troubling time and how clearly they've never forgotten or Griffin at least has never forgotten about it you know it's just
1: yeah and man. Griffin has probably had to be the man of the house like since since he moved with Ben and his mom because his mom because like- Heather's
2: just always getting drunk and moving them from city to city and Ben just you know is Ben so yeah
1: yeah yeah And so the next morning, Casey and Brett and Sev, they're all talking about the Darden situation in the loft. And, you know, there's an aunt looking over them apparently, but she's kind of in over her head. And Casey just, he knows he needs to do something. He just doesn't know what. So he's just like, you know, I don't know. And there's just, Brett grabs his hand, the support and, you know, just, just nice moment.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. I love that moment. Yeah. And then later that night, I know, have you watched it 400 times already? Probably. Probably. Yeah. So later that night, Griffin and Casey are, they're outside the loft waiting for the Uber. And Casey mentions that he wants to come see Griffin and Ben as soon as possible. And Griffin doesn't really believe him, but Matt's like, no, I mean it. And Matt does another dad move here because Matt like takes the phone away from Griffin. I'm like, oh my, look at you. It's so cute. Yeah. I love it. How have we not heard any dad jokes out of Casey yet? Like, he's got to have a good amount of them, like, waiting to use. For real, though. Yeah. Got to. So, uh, yeah, Griffin doesn't believe him, but Matt does the whole thing where he takes the phone, and he's like, I'm not turning my back on you guys. Like, that's a promise. Um, Yeah. So, wow. That, that, That whole thing hit way harder than I expected it to
2: yeah I think next week too obviously when we get the Ben you know when Ben gets brought into the fold and it looks like Casey you know is interested in bringing them back to Chicago with him so
1: yeah I think next week's gonna destroy me too yeah yeah for sure so um Megan R said those flashbacks I got really emotional during that scene give Matt and Griffin a hug yes please um kim said watching that scene with casey
2: and griffin in front of the house where darden died killed me and the flashbacks cue all the tears what i also really loved about this was that as casey's were living the day and telling griffin what happened there's no blame anymore this broke apart casey and Severide's friendship for so long and it just shows us how far they've come i hope Severide is involved if casey brings them back to chicago
1: i think sev's gonna have to be involved because i mean Severide is basically he's done what ben is going through right now where like you know, grief and like sadness and negative emotions, like make you spiral into partying all the time. So yeah, I think Seth has to be a part of it because he's been through it before. When I think even regardless of that, two other
2: things, I think one, obviously the, re- the few people who were still, who knew Jarden, like Mouch and Herman and Bowden, you know, they can help fill in some of the gaps on, you know, what their dad was like, but Sevride you know besides Casey like Severide knew him the best so Severide's going to be important in that regard you know in helping connect them to their dad but also to like Casey I mean love Casey to death but if he does bring both of them back to Chicago like Casey's going to need all the help he can get just raising two boys like two teenage boys like Casey's going to need you know the whole 51 families help. So yeah, I think Severi definitely is going to be involved in a couple different aspects.
1: Yeah, and it's one thing when they're little, but they're both teenagers now, so that's going to be holy hell.
2: Yeah, especially Ben being Ben, or oh, the way they've described Ben to be. Yeah, yeah,
1: so... And then Danielle M. said, the scene of Matt and Griffin in front of the house where Andy died got me right in the feels. Side note, nine years later, it's still standing and charred. Where I come from, it would have been torn down long ago. Fair.
2: Yeah um Allison G said I love the Darden storyline already I predict that Casey's big decision in episode 200 will revolve around making a stable home for them in Chicago by moving out of the loft and making some changes to his CFD role and or backing off his relationship with Brett to focus on them yeah Um, I hope it's not but anyway (laughs) yeah
1: no I don't think he would I think he's like we did not spend like 18,000 seasons of slow burn for its last three episodes, and then Matt be like, "Peace."
2: Yeah, and I think too. I mean, obviously Brett was adopted, so Brett's got some, I think, connections too, and you know, understanding at least the foster side of what Ben and you know Griffin are going through. Um, but even too, I think you know, even when they weren't together, and uh, right after Julie died, and. Um, Julie's husband was like, here, Sylvie, I need you to take the baby. And she went to Casey and Casey's like, you know, whatever, like I'm here for you, whatever. Like, and they weren't even together at that point. I can't imagine her not being there for him through all of this.
1: Right. Right. So, so. and then just loves Otter said, at first I was confused about the Oregon comment because the last thing we knew was that they were in Florida. But as we learned more, it wasn't what I was expecting to hear about Heather I love that Bowden came to visit 51 when Griffin was there. I do question the timeline, though. Yep, 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 yep. Um, So in season two, he was 11, making him 10 when Andy died. But he's saying that he was six when his father died. That would have made him seven in season two and currently 15. He doesn't look 15. He's not 15. He's 20. He's 20. (laughs) Um, He looks closer to 19 or 20. Also, would he have been able to fly alone like he did at 15? Don't minors need to be released into someone's custody when the plane lands? Good point. Good point. Is there someone else in Chicago that he could have gone to? Because clearly no one from 51 knew he was coming back to Chicago. Completely fair. That's all great points. He's 20. I don't care what anybody says. He's 20. Detail shmeetails. I mean, (laughs) it's yeah. Continuity? What? Never heard of it yeah 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 whatever so moving uh, on to Cruz and Gallo oh poor Cruz uh, poor Cruz is right okay so
2: we start off and before morning briefing Stella and Herman are doing a plank competition which like I just I love that little like throw in thing it's just it's so
1: funny best ever like best
2: yeah And so while that's happening, Gallo asks Severide about the balcony collapse from last call from last shift and, like, what his plan B basically would have been. And Severide tells him or whatever, and he's like, you do this kind of thing a lot, like, post-gaming calls, trying to figure out alternative solutions, and Gallo's just like, doesn't everybody? And Severide's like, no. Um, And so Severide says, you know, like, hey, if you ever decide you want to try out from squad, like, come talk to me. And you can see, like, Gallo's eyes perk up and, like, You know, he's just, he gets really excited about that.
1: He spoke to me. Oh my goodness.
2: Yeah. He didn't terrorize me.
1: (laughs) He didn't scare me into oblivion. Yeah.
2: So while squad three gets called out or they get called out to this call where like a little girl basically fell through a manhole that was covered up while she was kicking a soccer ball. So she didn't see it. And so Severide asked Cruz if he's like good to go down there. And Cruz is like, I'm fine. Yeah, let's do it. But as it turns out, Cruz was not fine. Um, so once he's upside down and like down in the hole, he starts freaking out and asks to like be brought back up. Um, and Severide ultimately goes down, gets the girl, brings her back up safely. She's fine.
1: But he Just is right like- things yeah just severide thinks it's fine lauren um, like lauren he, from the locker room she tweeted when this happened she like she tweeted something about like um kelly fuck it i'll do it myself severide i was like yeah accurate <laughs> pretty much pretty much um but he is pissed at
2: cruz like cruz is trying to apologize and severide just ignores him like he's not having any of it and so once they're back at the station severide goes even a step further and tells him that like he's relieving him You know, he's just like, I've only got a four man team and everybody's got to be on their game and you aren't. So Cruz is really upset. He storms back into the bunk room and Gallo runs after him. Of course, Gallo doesn't know what Severide just said to Cruz. So Gallo just like runs after him and asks him about his like transition from truck to squad and Cruz chews Gallo out. He says, he's like, do me a favor, Gallo. Wait till my body is cold. And Gallo, like, and then Cruz just walks away. And Gallo is just, like, stunned. He doesn't even know,
1: like, what to say, how to act. Gallo's just like, I, uh, yeah. Gallo really is such a cinnamon roll, though. Because, like, he's got this big smile on his face. And then Cruz walks away. And he's like, oh, oh, oops. Like, I'm sorry. I guess I should be sad now. Yeah. yeah. Just such a cinnamon roll.
2: So, the reason that Gallo isn't at his meeting, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, but is because he's at Molly's, and he's waiting on Cruz because he's offered to buy Cruz a beer to apologize. And, but we see Cruz, like, walk up to the door at Molly's and get there, but he can't bring himself to go inside. So, he just turns around, stands Gallo up, you know. Yeah. Poor Cruz. So, yeah, I know. Poor Cruz. But so... Over at the loft with Casey and Severide and Stella and Brett and Get Griffin, the whole gang. Uh, Casey asked Severide, you know, if he's checked on Cruz.
4: Hey, have you checked on Cruz? Nah. Ah, uh, tight spaces seem to really be setting off his panic switch, huh? Do you say it giving you trouble? Why was it in the mood to talk? He lied to me and he put a victim in jeopardy. Maybe he thought he was getting better. I did the same thing last year. Kept my head injuries secret longer than I should have. Ugh. I just wanted to be on shift. Ignore the rest of it, that didn't work. When you got by, I had Sylvie. She was with me every step of the way. Only reason I stayed sane. Maybe you should talk to him. He's already talking to a CFD counselor, I am sure of that. Good, you're his lieutenant. It wasn't the injury that almost got me I was trying to get through it alone
1: you know Severide is a great leader but he really sucks at things like these yeah
2: yeah like he did good by at least insisting Cruz talked with CFd counselor but like he doesn't connect that like oh hey if I did this I could probably have also the same if not more impact
1: it I just, really doesn't I- I don't think Cruz I don't think he realizes how much he means to Cruz like Cruz looks up to him Cruz just like yeah I mean Cruz loves them I mean just I I don't think Severide realizes the like the the magnitude of his words on Cruz like he doesn't realize how how much influence he has over him.
2: Everett's come a long ways with his emotional maturity, but he is not there yet at all. He's not like fully there yet.
1: No, he and I, I think that this particular shortcoming, I think it's because this is how he processes like things like that. Is he shuts down? He doesn't talk to anybody about his feelings. Well, and it's so
2: funny kind of going off that too, until Casey laid it out like this, I would have never thought to compare what Cruz was going through to what Casey went through last season. Yeah, Like literally would not have crossed my mind. And then the way it was laid out in this episode, you know, about how like the only way Casey got through it is because Casey, you know, had Sylvie and he, you know, she was with him every step of the way. And that was only, you know, and Cruz so far feels like he's alone. It's just like, it didn't click to me. Like I, I, I don't know, but I like that parallel. It just, it didn't
1: click to me. Right. Right. Um, and then like, there's like, I, I just, I feel really bad for Cruz. Like there's probably another part of him that like didn't want to say everything, anything. Cause he probably feels like he's a burden and he probably didn't want to like burden seven anymore. Cause already saved him and like
3: poor Cruz. Yeah.
2: Um, so now we're at next shift and Casey asked Gala to stop by his quarters And so Casey's like, so I heard you're gunning for squad and you're not the one who told me. And Gallo's like, no, no, no. Like I sure I I wasn't trying to go behind your back. But Casey's like, no, no, no. Like I I think it was a good idea. And Casey mentions that, you know, Gallo's got his full support if it is something he wants to pursue. But Gallo tells him, he's like, you know, actually, I want to stay on 81. And Casey's like, you're not interested in squad? And Gallo's like, no, 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 like I am. And he says, it might be cool to end up there one day. But Captain, I still have a lot to learn from you. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm just like, the father-son duo still lives another day. I still have a lot to learn from you, Dad. 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 This would have been the scene for that. If any, if that happened. Yeah, that would have been the scene for it to happen. Um, but anyway, so after shift, Severide shows up to Cruz's apartment and is like, meet me at the Academy tomorrow at four. And we see as, you know, kind of the episode ends that Severide has Cruz running drills. Cap and Tony are there too. And like the fact that he's like running all these drills, like it gets him comfortable to be in those like tight spaces again. Like Cruz seems to be feeling good. Obviously he, more importantly, he has the support of not only Severide, but Cap and Tony. And it's just... It's a good note to end on.
1: That that's really important for Cruz, too, is just like to know that everybody rallied behind him and you know. Yeah. That was good. That was good. Yeah. So um
2: Alexa S said, Love Gallo was wanting to hear Cruz's thoughts on being part of squad and his enthusiasm about potentially joining in the future, but his timing wasn't the greatest. And if he could tell that Cruz wasn't in a good headspace at that moment, he could have set back. For Cruz, I could understand that he wasn't doing good in that moment but he could have let gallo know maybe they could have talked later on and shift about it instead of totally snapping at gallo um and then she also said i was happy to see that squad were all there to support Cruz with him getting better with his mask being on and all the training they were doing towards the end of the episode can we please see more cap and tony this season i need more laughter each week, and they provide so much of it
1: and bring back macy we only got to meet her for like two seconds i know and she and then she cat broke up i know Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kim said, Gallo on Squad seems inevitable, but I'm so glad that this scene ended the way it did. Gallo decides to stay on track because he still has more to learn from Casey. Can we please show this mentor-mentee relationship? We've barely scratched the surface, but this feels like a storyline that needs to be explored way more. It does. And, and this is the other thing, too, is that Gallo on Squad makes perfect sense to me, too. What are they, I I was wondering if they were starting to lead up to like Gallo and Cruz kind of switching so that when the baby's born, Cruz goes back to truck and Gallo joins squad. I don't know, but yeah, that it it makes too much sense for Gallo not to go to squad. Eventually
2: I'm okay with where he's at right now, but yeah, he's definitely going to be, he's going to be Severide one day. Like he's going to one day be like when Severide officially decides to retire or leave or whatever, like it's going to go to Gallo as squad lieutenant
3: oh
1: my god is blake like gen z severide like he's severide but just like in touch with his feelings yes he's the less
2: emotionally stunted version of severide
1: and monogamous as well (laughs) not uh true doesn't sleep with all of chicago
2: yet i did love that comment from herman when herman is serving gallo the beer while he's waiting for Cruz, and herman's like he was like, so did you get set up? And Gal was like, I don't bring any of my dates here. And Herman's like, yeah, you kind of have to because this is the only place you can run up a bar tab. I just, I <laughs> thought that was so funny. So precious. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah. And so Kim also said, I loved everything about squad showing up for Cruz, the Academy, but is Cruise just like magically okay? I would have thought they'd at least show a conversation about what he was going through and why he was spinning out on calls. Seems like a missed opportunity if it's done. I mean, this is how one Chicago rolls. They're like, oh, you suffered a really horrible, awful trauma. Okay, well, we're just going to fix it in one episode and you're done.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see lingering effects. It kind of seems like no, but who knows?
1: Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. moving into brett so brett is still trying to get the paramedicine up and going yeah so um, <laughs> brett actually she's she's trying to get a meeting with hawkins hawkins is the chief that we don't like from last week and she lies to his secretary to get in the door good job brett good job um she's she's learning that you know she can't always be the nice person so um during her meeting with hawkins he's just like okay well now's not the right time and Sylvie's so like, yeah, but Chicago needs this now. And he's like, okay, but it's still no. <laughs>
3: Whatever.
1: So Brett and Casey are making dinner at the loft and she's venting about her meeting. And Casey's like, dude, like he made a mistake. You know, it's a great idea. It's really good. And she's like, no, I'm not going to give up. There's some way, maybe I can do this privately, which like Matt is such a good boyfriend hyping her up. And, you know, she's like, she's not giving up. She's like, F this, like, yay. Good job. Yeah. Good job. So Brett and Violet, they get called out to one of those, like, mysterious person down calls. And as they're on route dispatches, like, listen, like, the previous company got delayed. Delayed? Yeah.
2: Holy and, shit. like, how long delayed so much so that then you have to bring in another company? Like, how long is too, like, too long before you say, oh, no, we're going to bring in another company?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I think whatever point they called in 61 was probably too long, but yeah. So they get there and this guy's been shot in the stomach and they try so hard, but it's too late. And so this is like a double whammy because we had already had the Casey and Griffin scene and we were like super emotional, but then. This was just like an added thing that like um, Elizabeth Sherman wrote this episode. She actually used to be Derek's assistant if I remember correctly, but Mm -hmm. she added in this teeny little detail where his phone lights up as he's dying and it's his mom. Like, wow. I was just like, wow, wow. We're playing dirty tonight. Okay, all right. Okay, I I see. Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's super heartbreaking. So then as soon as Mm -hmm. they get back from the call, Brett just like, she doesn't say anything and she just just walks up to Casey and just like puts her head on his chest and that's like it yeah which I loved by the way and I know you've seen it like 500 times by now
2: uh yeah definitely
1: yeah that was that was a good moment because like Casey had just finished some sort of conversation and then like the tone just shifted um Yeah. yeah so it was good so as shift is over, Mouch hears a noise coming from the locker room. And he's just like, did you hear that? And Brett's like, oh, it was me. <laughs> Angry Brett is just like, you know, she she gets upset and like, you know, it's always for a good reason, but also like, it's, it's kind of funny when she gets upset. But uh, yeah, she's like, you know, she, she's really, she's not happy. So we'll just play it out.
4: They said no to paramedicine.
3: If Hawkins
2: was on any of these calls, and saw kids die. Who might still be alive if we got in there five minutes sooner
4: that's the new paramedic chief hawkins
0: yeah and he's he's real concerned about delayed response times just not enough to actually do anything
4: guys get that white shirt they can forget what it's like on the ground
1: so mouch actually knows this guy or i think i think mouch knew his dad But enough to, like, also know
2: him, too, and that he knew Mouch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Hawkins is like, you know, after I focus on the issues I was hired to deal with, then I can focus on a plan like Brett's. And Mouch is like, yeah, that's a cop out. Like, your dad used to say his first and only responsibility was to the citizens of Chicago. So, yay, Mouch. A little bit of I know. I was there. I was
2: really excited to see that. And I'm really excited to see, too. Like, obviously, from we know from the episode five description that Mouch, you know, clearly becomes involved with this plan. So I'm just curious to see how, you know, how that works out and, you know, all that stuff. It'll, it should be really interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. That was good. It was good. See where it goes. So then we've got the millennials. We've got, Gallo oh, and the Ritter and Violet. Oh, the millennials. Our babies. Yes, take it away.
2: Okay. So the millennials are discussing their microbrewery in the common room when Herman overhears them. And he's, of course, straight away offended because they didn't consult him about, you know, using them or using him for their microbrewery plans. And he's like, he agrees to taste their beer. And if it's good, then he'll consider selling it at Molly's. So they get Herman, you know, they go to Molly's after the next shift and they get Herman to taste it. And he, of course, loves it. Um, however, he tells them that if they're going to be able to like satisfy demand, then, you know, they're going to have to like step up their game. And so he gives them the business card for this guy, Charles Stewart, who's a brewmaster and says that he owes him one. And so he'll arrange the meeting for them. Um. And so Violet and Ritter show up to the meeting because like I said, Gallo says to go on without him because he is at Molly's waiting for Cruz. And so all of a sudden Dewitt comes out and he barely says like two words to them, like takes their beer and then leaves them. And then all of a sudden his assistant comes out and is like, oh, well, Dewitt was really impressed. And do you want some space for your microbrewery? And they're like, okay, sure. Um, Thank you. Um, but apparently, this guy Dewitt's dad is a billionaire, which is how he can like be drunk basically and still afford to do all of this. So as they're leaving shift, the next you know the next shift, um, Violet reads the emails. You know, like with the terms, and so apparently, in exchange for you know space and tools, they would give up a tenth of their product um, because again, Dewitt is a drunk and he wants to be able to drink it for himself. So a Gallo, of course, is questioning whether this is all like a good idea. and Violet's just like, listen, like let's meet at your place later, discuss it further. Like I've had a really hard day and I'm you know, that will help me get it off my mind. And so but later at Gallows they try to discuss things further, but they're so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> they're so drunk. Um, I died when Violet tried to do the Herman impersonation. Yeah, it's so
1: good. so it's funny. So good. I would hang with the drunk Millennials. Uh, Sign me up, please. Yeah, right? Please. That means you would have to start drinking beer, though. Hmm. It's not bad.
2: I don't like
1: beer. I haven't tried the right stuff.
3: I don't
2: like beer. But yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, that's the Millennials, so.
1: This was a solid episode of fire. It was really
2: good. It's really, I'm i'm i know we're obviously leading up to episode five which you know but like oh man yeah it's is good. good yeah
1: yeah so all right it's that time just stretch it stretch i know it out. i'm like okay
3: Boy.
1: Just stretching my arms stretching things out okay Whew. time to talk about pd <sighs> let's do it let's do it okay Okay, so this episode opens on, like, one of the best opening scenes that we've had in a long time.
2: Yeah, definitely the best opening scene we've had in a long time. Maybe one of the best ever, but definitely one of the best in a long time.
1: Jay and Haley are moving in together. Yay! That makes me so happy. But also, um, you know, even if there is, like, this giant secret over their head, just, yeah, that makes me happy. But this scene is just amazing, so we're just going to play this out.
4: Yo, you guys know, we all know you're doing it, right? Doing it? Doing it. What's up? Well, Jay and Haley are moving in together tonight, I think, yeah. I'm a trained observer.
1: Did you do know we all know you're together, right? Yeah, I'm aware of that.
4: What I don't get is why that's a non-event, but this is a thing. We've been staying in each other's apartments for months. Well, because then you were just like doing it. Now you're doing it. It's the same thing. Well, it's
0: definitely not the same thing. For instance, did you know that sometimes women use the medicine cabinet to store medicine? let me tell you something right now i look around this room you know what the first thing i think is here's a bunch of relationship experts
1: i don't even know where to start with this okay like jay's comment about like oh bunch of relationship experts art art like amazing from
2: the comment itself to the delivery i mean it is like
1: chef's kiss he manages to roast all three of them in just like one sentence and I'm just like wow wow, good job Jay wow but
2: even before that obviously Rusik's comment about like for instance did you know if sometimes women use the medicine cabinet to store medicine and everyone's just like what the fuck like what does that have to do with anything what does that even mean I don't know but also, I love how, like, in the background of the scene this whole time, Atwater's, just, like, cleaning the phone.
1: Yes, I was going to ask him if you caught that. He's just sanitizing the phone.
2: Like, okay,
1: COVID, what? I guess. But, like, it's, what? it's so random. So out of everybody in, in intelligence, you're telling me Atwater's the germaphobe? I, I don't know, because then he cleans the phone and then he, like, stops.
2: I, I don't know what he's doing. Hilarious.
1: Hilarious. But also the, the medicine cabinet comment, I was like, hey, first off, what does that mean? But second, if women are the only ones who use it for medicine, what do the guys use it for? Do I even want to ask that question? I probably don't even want to ask I don't know, that know if you want to
2: ask. I don't know. But like, what else would you
1: use it for? I, the only thing I can imagine is like nothing. You just wouldn't bother to open the mirror. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know if I want to know the answer to that question. oh my goodness okay so then Voight calls Haley out of the room and into his office and apparently the FBI now has the case with Roy and they got a tip that Roy was spotted in Dallas cool it's a good thing I work from home <laughs> uh, yeah so it's so perfect that like the ghost of Roy would be spotted in my area at Halloween time right like perfect so uh I didn't even think about that. That's funny. Hank's like, listen, chances are they know that's not true. They're just dropping it in our lap to see who flinches. And it's just like stay the course, like, don't do anything unusual. Well, if they're dropping it in their lap to see who flinches, then obviously the FBI is onto to them then. I think
2: they probably know that something's up. I don't know if they're on to them specifically, but
1: um yeah. So fucked.
2: Ugh. Mm-hmm.
1: So then uh, Jay is driving and a call comes in over the radio about an armed robbery and an explosion. And when they get there, this is like a huge shootout. So three offenders have already fled the scene, but there's a little girl that was struck with shrapnel from the explosion. Like she was walking by the armored car and there was an explosion. And so the rest of intelligence rolls up. It's the same robbery crew from the last three they've been looking at. They pull security cam video and confirm it. And then they basically, they, they, Reverse engineer the bomb that went off, basically, and they find there's a batch of C4 that traces back to this army base. And Burgess kind of Burgess kind of figures out the way that they're made is they're called they're they're what's called sticky bombs, um, which really just sounds like a kind of candy. But yeah, the, they're like military style sticky bombs. And as Burgess is going through this, Jay gets that face of like he's got a face when military stuff is involved and like when it like sparks a memory or something he's got a face and that's the face that you see and the gears are turning um and so upstead goes and meets this guy from the army base who brings them a list of everybody who was there that one specific weekend with the c4 when it went missing and it's a giant packet and Haley's just like shit how are we gonna go through this jay's like i only need one name like i know exactly who i'm looking for um and he finds it Elliot Knox is his name. Jay knows him from Afghanistan. So apparently outside of the Taliban, most people wouldn't use that exact recipe except for Knox. Um, and yeah. Jay, apparently and Jay. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Cause the picture. Um, yeah, that was an interesting moment. Cause he had the, he's like, he's like, listen, there's only one other person who knew how to make this. And he hands him the picture and it's of Knox and Jay. Um, Yeah. And so they did two tours together in Afghanistan. Jay thought he was a good guy, but like apparently not. Jay has never said exactly what happened. It's crazy. But besides that one time where like he got busted for stealing a bajillion years ago, like it's a completely clean sheet. But Jay is like, no, he stole the C4. Like he stole the C4. So Jay goes undercover at this military support group meeting that Knox frequents. And LOL in this episode that the only difference between Jay and undercover Jay was that undercover Jay wore a hat. hat. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like undercover Jay. It's not even like under Jay's undercover persona. It is like a fake version of himself.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's like, I'm wearing a hat. It's like, now you see me now you don't. Like, (laughs) it's, It's funny. So, um, There. Yeah. So Jay mentions that when he, somebody he meets there, he's like, you know, I used to come here a lot when I got home, but I don't really go anymore. And he's like, I don't really know why I stopped coming. And Kim is in the van with Haley. And she's like, is that true? And Haley is like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Kim's like, I don't know this guy, Jake, like, tell me things about him. Um, but yeah, Haley has no idea. So then Knox recognizes Jay, but this is where shit gets crazy. Okay. So, uh, Knox introduces Jay as Ricky and this is the moment the whole fandom just perked up and was like did he just what like what just happened I was
2: honestly I was honestly shook I was like wait are we telling me that like AJ either lied while he was in the military or BJ is not
1: actually his name I was I was honestly shook. I think a, a good percentage of the fandom f- spent the next like 45 to 50 minutes just being like these fuckers, like nine seasons later. And they never told us that Jay goes by his middle name. This is bullshit. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. And it was weird. Cause I, when he showed up and like, I thought he was, I, I was totally prepared for him to introduce himself and be like, Ryan, Hey, but Ricky was the last thing I was expecting to hear. So, yeah. And that's what Kim and Haley
2: are like Ricky did he just say Ricky who's Ricky it's like huh?
1: yeah so uh Knox is introducing him and he starts telling all this stuff about what they went through in Afghanistan and Jay is like squirming he's so uncomfortable and part I I was wondering if it was uncomfortable just to hear it out loud again or if it was uncomfortable because he knew the whole team could hear maybe both I think both yeah 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 I think it I think it was both so then once the session's over Knox and jay agree to get together and go through some old photos and so um back in the bullpen jay's like okay well bomb and arson went undercover by his house one of the dogs smelled something from the basement window but it's not quite enough from the ser- for a search warrant so while jay is over there this is this is hat jay hat jay there's jay and hat jay <laughs> and uh he's like while i'm over there i'll find some evidence and we'll come in when when i give you the safe word um jay's so smart too the safe word was juniper because it was like one of the types of trees it wasn't something ridiculous mm-hmm. like yeah yeah jay's so smart so uh, Haley walks away with jay and she's like you know it's nice to hear you talk about the army because like you never talk about it and then she jokingly calls him ricky and jay's just like don't call me that like don't call me that and she feels so bad but like you know, and Jay feels bad too. Cause like she apologizes. He's like, no, like don't apologize either. You're just, you're good. Just don't call me that, please. And again, we're just like this fucker. He's been going by his middle name all this time and we're just now finding it out. So Jay and Knox sit in the backyard. They're looking through old photos and reminiscing mouse sighting, by the way, mouse sighting. Did you catch that in the picture? It took me a second. It still really doesn't look like
2: mouse to me, but I don't know. I think they
1: had to do some, like, crafty photoshopping.
2: But here's the thing. Unless Mouse is also going by, like, his real name or whatever, why didn't they just say, like, why didn't Jay then make a comment about Mouse? Like, we all know who Mouse is.
1: I was really hoping he
2: would, too. And he was like, who's that guy? I was like, please say Mouse. Um. And it was something else. And I just, I feel like. I don't know. I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that that's mouse. We're going to have to go back and like, I'm going to have to look even harder because. I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it is. I know I I, I wanted to, but I want to believe that it is, Mm -hmm. but I have a hard time really like, because we spent so much time with mouse early on that I've imagined if they didn't, if they brought out a picture of him, that they would, somebody would have thrown a comment in there about it.
1: I think he did mention mouse at one point, like, but it was, it wasn't directly. You had to know it was mouse because it was, I think it might've been at the support group. but he's like, yeah, we still have one buddy who like went back. Uh, I, I think I he makes so. though. I caught it in the support group. Maybe not.
2: Well, and like, here's the thing too. So I'm looking, okay. Two separate things, two separate questions now that I just Googled mouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mouse's name is Greg Gerwitz and they, obviously called him mouse the other name was like mullins or something like that so i don't think that that's mouse and then secondly jay served with mouse in the 75th ranger regiment that's not where he served with this guy is it he said 75th he was in the 75th i think so i don't see i don't know i thought that jay would have then had to go obviously to ranger school and that would have been like a separate time versus when he was with this guy
3: hmm.
2: but anyway i still don't believe that that's mouse
1: oh. hmm. okay so uh, jay goes inside to use the bathroom and he pretty much heads straight to the basement he's not subtle at all he's just like "Up this uh, he finds the bomb making material and Knox catches him and intelligent makes intelligence makes it just in time before Knox shoots him. And so they bring him in for questioning and Knox just says that he makes the explosive devices and sells them. And he also has no clue who the robbery, the robbery crew is, but he does agree to help and gives them the one name he knows, which is Matthew Davis, but they still have zero evidence tying Davis to the robbery crew. So, uh At this point, this is where things kind of start to take a turn, right? Because Jay goes from like playing the undercover game to like, he goes from zero to 60 and Jay is, Jay does not hide his feelings for this guy. Oh, no, no. This might be the angriest we've ever seen Jay. Like he doesn't, no. So um, they're basically, they decide to use Knox to get to Davis. And while Haley's wiring him up, she asks him what happened because she can't get it from Jay. And he just says, he's like, war happened. Like I made a mistake and it was bad. And one look at Ricky's face and I knew it was bad. It's the job. It puts you in these places where the right thing is wrong and the wrong thing is right. So that's basically his stance on it is like, he did a fucked up thing, but the lines are blurred over there. And Davis texts Knox and just tells him like, it's over. The game's canceled forever. We're not doing this. So that's where that leaves off. Brian take it from here
2: so like we said jay is in like peak angry jay mode and so he um takes Knox home and like i said jay starts yelling at him about how he hopes that he doesn't find out that Knox wasn't the one who tipped davis off and so but of course as soon as they drop him off a call comes in over the radio about another armed robbery in process and they end up in this like crazy shootout um it's you know him and Upton and the guy and then burgess and ruzik end up, up on the scene at one point and literally it ends with one of the guys from the robbery crew like ends up being literally run over by a garbage truck a legitimate regina george moment it
1: literally regina george him. yep yeah. yep and that was the entire twitter timeline like as that went to commercial everybody was like did they just regina george him they did yeah
2: that's how regina so, george died um now though what they realize you know as they're like analyzing the scene is that the mo has changed and that the robbery crew didn't even try to blow the doors off the track but instead they ended up actually executing a security guard so they go through and they find out that the dead offender is this guy paul mcbride who has a relatively short sheet but of course then they find out they're like what his cousin cooper is a heavy hitter so Jay and Haley and Void are talking on the street or whatever, and Jay's like, "I think we should get rid of Knox. Like he kind of failed." And Haley's like, "Actually, I I don't think he did at all." And so, Haley comes up with this idea that what the robbery crew really needs is a sniper, and that obviously Knox needs to be the one to enter to take Jay undercover and like have him get introduced to the crew.
1: Oh, Jay was so and, pissed.
2: Yeah. And so later on, we see Knox and Jay conversating about it, and Knox is like, look at us, brothers in arms again, and Jay's just like, let's clear something up. Like, you made the wrong call in Afghanistan, so did I, and I haven't forgotten any of it. I just hope to hell that you're not, you know, we're not making the right call. The wrong call now. And Knox is like, everything's so black and white with you, like, some of us aren't so lucky, and Jay's just like, just do this one right, like, that's all I'm asking you. And Knox says that he supposedly has Ricky's back, but as we find out, he doesn't. Oh, man. So... Knox and Jay go out to meet Davis and this other member of the crew and like they have Jay do a like sniper test and Jay of course nails it. Can we talk about so, how like kind of hot that was? Oh my god. Um, the yeah. photo still from that scene is like unreal. Beautiful. Yeah,
1: when he yeah. gets up and the guy's like, Yeah, well, just don't miss. And he goes, I won't miss. I was like, Oh, oh my. That's like one of those TikTok clips that you put wildest dreams over. <laughs> um, that reference is completely lost on you because you're not on TikTok, which is for the best, really. But um, yeah. yeah, the minute he was like, I won't miss, I was like, Oh, my. Oh, wow. Okay, carry on. Yeah. Um,
2: so, yeah, so they invite him to go to their next job with them, basically. Um, but so while they're waiting on the robbery to go down, um, Haley asked Void about like what the feds wanted and Void's like, I-, I told you they wanted the location of Roy's cars for, you know, their bulletin. And then she's like, well, where's Roy's body? And she's like, you know, two bullets for my service weapon are in him. And Void's like, no, they're not. Like I policed your slugs, handled the rest. Like it's done. And Haley says, you know, well I have a right to know. And Void's like, no, you you don't need another secret to hold on to.
1: Oof. Mm-hmm. It's only making things worse. Yeah.
2: So Jay calls into Voight and says that the car is on track, but the crew is—you know—the armored car is on track, but the crew isn't, and that apparently Knox is at the crew's place. And Voight's like, "Well, how do you know that?" And he's like, "I put a tracker on his car. I knew this was going to happen." <laughs> so upset, Voight and Kevin go to the crew's place and go after him. Um, They do find uh, Cooper McBride, who's been now executed, and his fingernails were pulled out. Um, And then they also end up finding Davis, who was shot but alive. And he tells them that apparently Knox just showed up, demanded to know where the money from the other jobs was, and, like, left in one of their junker vans. And so they end up going to the storage facility where the crew kept their money, and Haley and Jay find Knox, arrest him, you know, the whole thing. But then we get this end scene, and Haley and Jay have dinner on the few little stairs in their new apartment, and they're kind of, like, debriefing about the whole thing,
1: so... Um, the stairs are, like, the only thing that is little about this new place. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get, yeah.
0: I'm sorry for holding things back. I know I do not talk about my time in the army that much. It's not that I want to keep anything from you, it's just... You don't have to tell me anything. You can, and I'll love you all the same. Knox was in charge though, he served out his tour. Yeah, he covered it up. He lied. The truth is, I could have done something. I should have, and I didn't. I like that he told you of his mistake, though. That's good. He probably believes that, too. It's insane what we tell ourselves. And it was straight up murder. It was murder and lies. Profession can definitely make you hungry. You got anything you want to share?
2: I'm an open book, you know that. Oh man, so much ten pack from this scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, basically, it was nice. I feel like. Jay could have easily like I mean Haley basically gave them the you know his way out like she's like you know you don't tell me anything like you can and I'll love you all the same and like Jay could have kept it keep you know kept all this up to himself but I'm glad he didn't and I'm glad he told Haley yeah um and obviously we learned that apparently Ricky was short for Ricochet um we learned the reason you know what happened with Knox that apparently he basically went revenge on the Taliban for killing one of the guys on their unit and killed a bunch of them Um, And covered the whole thing up. Um, And then. But what's. You know obviously interesting. Is that Jay ends this whole thing. And he's like you know. Well he's like jokingly says to Haley. He's like you got anything you want to share. And then Haley's just like. I'm an open book. You know
1: that. And it's just like. That was probably not the right thing to say at that moment Haley.
2: Definitely not. I feel so bad for her. Yeah, it's, as we saw,
1: see in the promo, which we'll get to in a second too, that's, it's about to blow up. It's insane. I, just, yeah. I have so many questions, like so many questions. Okay, so um, we need to talk about Haley and Jay's new place because, wow, um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, it, it was the big sweeping window of the city that got me. That I was just like, what the fuck is this? Wow. Okay. This is what yeah. got me Googling today because like it was a mystery. I was just like, this can't be right. This can't be right. Like I gotta, I gotta find this out. Okay, so I Googled detective salaries in Chicago today because again, the internet. Like, don't don't judge me. Okay. I had a burning question and I solved it. Okay. So if we assume that Jay and Haley have both been with CPD for like somewhere around 10, 15 years, then they're both making roughly $95,000 to $100,000 a year. Okay. So, about that, they're, they're both at about like ninety-five to $100,000. Okay. Um, I looked at some spots on Zillow in Chicago. Don't act like you don't play on Zillow. Everybody plays on Zillow and everybody loves it. Don't act like you don't play. Okay. So, um, I found some really sweet listings that are like similar to what they're looking for. Two of them are like, they're around like the 600,000 mark. And then there's another one that is just unbelievably sweet. That's like 1.6 million, but it's also a three bedroom. So if we assume that they got a two bed, two bath, which like I, they that's what I imagine. Then their mortgage could be somewhere around like the 3,500 to like $4,500 a month like mark depending on how much they put down. That's insane. It's literally insane. It was a burning question. Okay. Like I had to Google to find out. Okay. Um, we should share these Zillow links though, because everybody plays on Zillow and you know, all it made me do was like want to move to Chicago. So, um, it's a good thing that I'm not single because if I was, I would be like, Ooh, I'm moving. So that's, that's, That's been your Chicago real estate recap for today. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, if you assume that that's how much they're making for X amount of years, then Ruzik is making considerably less. And he was going to get that sweet-ass place in season six? Yeah. uh, Yeah.
2: None of their places make any sense. They
1: don't. And I wish they did. But, like, they don't. Well, no, what I really
2: want to understand is obviously now – Haley and Jay are living together. So that makes a difference because obviously they've now combined their salaries to Mm -hmm. afford a place. But what happened? Do you remember not Upton's last place, but the first place that was like ridiculously sweet and super big, that house apartment thing? How did she afford that by herself? That's what I want to know. Right? Like at least this is slightly different because at least it's the two of them combining their salaries together. Mm -hmm. But that place was just her by herself. How I
1: how I mean I'm guessing she was renting but even then that rent had to be ridiculous I don't think she could have afforded the rent by herself Hmm. like obviously the further out the further out from downtown you get the cheaper it gets obviously that's like most real estate places but like even if she's renting rent in Chicago is like kind of ridiculous isn't it oh I like moved the wrong way and like popped my neck <laughs> this is the hazards of getting old um yeah but like and also rent is not
2: supposed to be like obviously entirely what you make in a month like rent you know typically is somewhere you know around like 30 percent of your income you mm-hmm. know somewhere in that range um so
1: yeah I'm looking at, I'm looking at one of the listings here trying to see like what it would have been for rent, but yeah, like this one, the estimated, the estimated mortgage payment is like 3975, which is like, that's a lot of money. And if they combine their incomes and it's 4,000, that's still like 2,000 a month, which is just like, what? It's a lot. It is a lot. It's just a mystery. I got curious. I Googled everybody plays on Zillow. When I get like super, super bored or like super, super anxious, I look at houses in the Hollywood Hills and like laugh. I'm just like have 54 million. That's a ridiculous amount. Um, yeah, but all this makes me want to do is just move to Chicago. But then I started looking, cause I was wondering also, I was just like, okay, well maybe it's like a studio. And that's just like, since it's so big that like maybe there's like a tiny bedroom off of like one area somewhere. But then I looked for studios in Chicago and they were all about the size of like a square for like six hundred yeah I don't $3. think they're living in a studio no no but like that yeah. place is huge yeah I don't know this two bed two bath one I'm looking at for six hundred thousand is actually really gorgeous um I got curious I don't know I have no other way to explain it other than I was curious and I googled don't judge me <laughs> um yeah, just just a mystery. But also like why do they do that where the place is so much sweeter than something they could afford? Is it because they have to build a big set? I guess make it aesthetically pleasing.
2: I don't know. Hmm. Um but I feel like before we get into our listener thoughts, I think we need to discuss this next week's promo.
1: Real oh quick. my god, we need to. Yes. Also, look at this listing cuz like oh my god. Imagine us like Just being roommates in Chicago just would be a dream. And Charlie and Pepper could just, like, come visit. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I looked at this one earlier. Uh, Unreal. Gorgeous, right? Unreal. Yeah. I miss Chicago so much. I, Uh, I know. Anyway. Yes, the promo. Holy shit, this promo. Wow. Okay, so, like... The image of Haley having a panic attack, first off, that's striking enough. But it's what Voight says at the end of the promo and Jay's face that, like, I already know I'm going to want to punch Voight. And I really hope Jay does it for me.
2: Yeah. I mean... But the thing, honestly, that got me, obviously, seeing Haley having a panic attack was not cool. But like the comment that really got it to me was at the end when Voight tells Jay that, like, you don't know who you're sleeping with or whatever, or sleeping next to you or whatever it is. And I was like, did he really just say that? Is he really going to throw Haley under the bus right now? Is he really going to frame it in such a way that Haley is the bad one? Right. That's what I'm saying. Is he really going to be like, I had nothing to do with it? It was all Haley. Haley's the one that shot her. Like,
1: no. And Jay's face tells me everything I need to know. Like, Jay's upset. Like, yeah, it's not good. Well, I think
2: he's probably upset twofold, right? Because obviously he literally just jokingly told Haley, like, got something you want to confess. Like, he's given her opportunities to confess and she didn't. And that's one thing, right? Like, her lying to him is like one thing. But then there's the actual, like, what she lied about, like, the content of the lie. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't think he's going to handle that well either. So
1: I'm really scared, right? Like I'm I'm scared he's going to find out and he's going to like go home and argue with Haley. I'm really afraid that's going to happen, which I like, I hope it's not because that's, that is not what she needs. Like she does not need somebody yelling in her face being like, you lied to me. How could you do that? She needs to cry and scream and just like, I don't know. She needs somebody to have her back and
2: Voight doesn't. Well, here's, here's the thing. I think there's, like I said, I think this is twofold, right? Like I can see Jay being more upset about the lie and I think it's okay if he's upset about her lying to him because obviously they are, like they just got engaged and like to keep something that big from your partner is like you're not only your partner in, you know, your work, but your partner in real life. Like, I think that says a lot. So I wouldn't be as mad at Jay if he's mad at her for solely lying. I think- if he's mad at her for what she did and not realizing that Voight probably manipulated her, that's where I think there's going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then what side is Jay going to come down on? Because what Jay says at the end of this episode is just like, it's pretty on point for what's going on, right? How he's just like, you know, you think that everything's like gray or whatever, but no, it's just murder. It's just straight up murder. I think that's I think that like kind of helped Haley sort it out in her head of like, oh, shit. Like, no, Voight's lying to me when he says you saved me. Just think of it that way. No, it's straight mm-hmm. up murder. Yeah, it was murder and lies. Which it would have never been had he just called it the fuck
2: in. Yep. But that's Voight. Void can do what he's going to do.
1: Sick. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes me so angry. I also feel really bad for her having a panic attack. I know that feeling way, way, way too well. And like to have one at work, oh, ew. yeah. I can't imagine. Cannot imagine. I would hightail a um, BF out of there. Yeah. If I could move. Panic attacks suck.
2: I've only ever had, well, I've had two, but they were in the same day. So, um, and that was in middle school um so we got a bunch of listener thoughts about this Mm -hmm. um sandra said i love knowing more about jay's military experience even though he seems set on leaving it in the past last night's episode gave a really gave an insight into what jay struggles with it was refreshing to see emotions from him we saw a different side of jay in many aspects
1: we really did we really did Mm -hmm. and when the minute nox called him ricky i was like oh i'm actually kind of scared for what we're gonna learn tonight like we're gonna learn something big
2: Yeah. You put that in one of our group texts. I don't remember which one. And I was, I wanted to be like, yeah, this is probably going to be the biggest truth bomb drop since uh, we learned Jay was married.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 TBT to that time. Jeez. TBT. (laughs) Um, Megan said someone give Jesse all the awards for his acting tonight. Jesse's so good. And we always like, we know that, but then like every time a Halstead episode pops up, you're just like, damn, Jesse, like, damn. Yeah 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 um
2: alexa S said enjoyed that we saw some of jay's military past and i hope we see more learn of it um more of it um we deserve it and then she did say though it seemed as though jay's military past and current things that are happening in intelligence are parallel and jay could probably tell yeah hmm
1: yep Um, Kim said when's the last time that there was humor on PD because I miss it because the first scene in the bullpen was perfect it was Uh, between Ruzik's I'm a trained observer while eating a pickle to Jay's I'm looking at a bunch of relationship experts isn't it possible to infuse this part of their personalities into a few scenes here and there I know it's a cop drama but also it was kind of reminiscent of the early PD days yeah we also need to talk about Adam's choice of snack who eats a dill pickle first thing in the morning I don't like pickles
2: at all so ew
1: I mean, I like pickles, but it's not what I'm going to reach for right after I've had like super sweet coffee. I mean, true, true. But also Adam, just Adam. That's a great Adam thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Kim also said, I'm still on my thoughts about this episode, but think the promo got to me more than anything else. Same, same. I was shook after that promo. Uh, how can Boyd actually tell Jay he doesn't know who he's sleeping with? And then when he's the source of Kay- Haley's current trauma? Yes, Exactly. Exactly. And at some point, White needs to actually atone for anything he's done, right? How can we just keep doing this season after season? I know, I know. Because white men fail up. That's why. White men fill up. What you said.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Allison G said, Jay's comment about the room full of relationship experts was hilarious. Like most on the show, the new upset apartment is way too nice for two cops and the view looked like a green screen. Um, and she said, um, Burgess seemed weirdly okay given where we left her last episode.
1: Yeah, I saw I saw a little bit of chatter about that on Twitter. and uh, it's better than PD has done in the past. I mean, I guess we'll see the next time we get a Kim scene. Yeah, like one episode to just get her groove back and now she's back. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I was okay with it. I don't yeah, I was okay nah, with that. I wasn't, but yeah. So. Aaron K said, I know that PD does these character focused episodes, which I'm not really a fan of, but I hope they spend as much time on Kim's PTSD as they are with Haley's. Now don't get me wrong, I love Haley and what she's going through is awful, but Kim's the one that almost died and thinks her potential killer is still out there. I know it's only episode three, but to not even have the camera pan to her face when they're talking about Roy in front of her bothered me. I know they all can't have storylines in every episode, but even last week when Kim was talking, they zoomed in on Haley. I just wish PD did a better job at balancing storylines throughout each episode. One scene or even one line would satisfy me. Fire does it well. I know different writers and showrunners, but still, and this isn't even an Upstead versus Burzik thing. Just wish they would focus on both equally because they're both important PTSD storylines. They, it's, they've got to, it's got to ebb and flow. Okay. So, um, the first two episodes were Burgess and now we've got to, we've got to pay some attention to what's going on with Haley, um. And the number one thing they teach you in therapy is never to compare your trauma to somebody else's.
2: No, and I don't think it's trying to compare, but I do think that it kind of makes it seem like we said, it kind of makes it seem like that Kim's doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And like you said, even if it's just one scene or to see what her reaction was, like, like Aaron said, when they mentioned Roy, like, I think that's all it would have taken. Nobody's saying that you need to sit here and have like half the episode devoted to Kim and half to Haley or, you know, yada, yada. No one's saying that. But um Yeah. It's kind of like last season when Atwater went through stuff, we got the first two on Atwater and then we didn't talk about what Atwater had just gone through ever again, basically. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And it's like, okay, they just shut that under the rug. And it's just like, they're PD's really bad at it. They
1: are. They are. And so, um, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's just, you know, it's an ensemble show and there's five characters that they got to center on. But it's an ensemble show, but the other two are also ensemble shows and do a
2: lot better at balancing. Yeah. And I get that PD has like one central case and they have to obviously make the case make sense from the beginning to the end. But I still think there's room. There used to be room. Let's put it this way. There used to be room for more balance. And I don't know what happened to it, but it is somehow got
1: lost in the wayside. I don't know I think that's what happens when you bring over a bunch of writers from SVU SVU is like the most formulaic show on tv so it's just it doesn't I don't know I did it just gets on my nerves
2: I'm I'm with her it gets on my nerves a lot
1: I respectfully disagree um yeah but I think we'll revisit Kim's trauma I think so I don't know. I mean, it's a question of, I mean, she's going to find out about Haley's secret and is she going to be relieved? Is she going to be sad? You know? I don't
2: know. Yeah. Um, Just be said PD was good. I guess like, I'm glad we got more of Jay's backstory, but what we got, has left me kind of not knowing how to feel about him like he didn't just witness a terrible thing he kind of helped cover it up but which is not great to say the least um she said as a Finn i'm a little mad that it feels like her and her storyline pain trauma has been shafted yet again it's like she got a tiny bit in the premiere and she got last episode but seemed back to normal this episode um but we yet still continue to see things
1: play out between Haley and boyt Uh, um see the Jay thing it was a like this is not an excuse but it was a long time ago and I think I think who we are you know 10 years before versus who we are now are always night and day right I think Jay learned a really hard lesson there that you know uh, not doing anything is worse than doing something
2: right no, I agree. I think it's definitely impacted who we is now, but I definitely, obviously, this is what happens too, I think, when you go nine seasons and you still don't know a lot about your characters um, and the experiences that made them, you obviously have them as this, like, picture of who they are or what you know them to be Mm -hmm. and then you learn something else that kind of seems maybe a little out of line or whatever and it kind of throws you for a loop and makes you see them slightly differently because obviously and i guess that's my guess is that's what jess is talking about but obviously you know i'm not saying i don't think i don't want to speak for jess i'm not saying i don't think she doesn't like jay anymore but it you know definitely makes you think of him differently a little bit i think
1: yeah yeah i see that i see that um Yeah, and so Jess Loves Otter said, I love that we learned a little bit more about Jay's military past, but I was hoping that it cleared up the timeline more. Still want to know how the Ben Benchorson case fits into the timeline. If he was found in 2007 and he was at Fort Benning around the same time. Just trying to decide if this answered my questions or left me with more of them. I'll go with the latter. Probably left you with more of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, she also asked, do you think Jay's comment at the end affects Haley's decision to eventually let him in? What, when she said, do you have anything to confess? Yeah, when he, well, when he was like, you have any, yeah, I think that's what she's talking about. Uh, I think
3: she's,
1: Hmm. Mm. that's a good question. I know. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think she's, I think she's willing to let him in. And I I think she, I think she wants to tell him what happened more than anything in the world. It's just that it's just such a big secret that she's so afraid when she like, she's so afraid of what's going to happen when she voices it that like she can't bring herself to say it yeah it's gonna it's gonna be
2: I'm I'm curious I'm I'm really curious to see how this all goes down yeah
1: yeah I'm really curious I hate this for her like it just it makes me so angry but also like void Voight's manipulated her this whole way to be like oh you saved me look at it like that but also like she had to kill him in that moment but I don't know like Mm -hmm. she probably really regrets opting to stay in that moment but also like if she hadn't stayed Boyd would have been killed I don't know it was a lose-lose really because if she had left and Boyd had been killed then she would have had to answer for like how did you know where he was why was he there alone yeah Yeah. well when she would have had it on her conscience too yeah she was gonna have something on her conscience either way yeah man For Haley. Mm-hmm. Any other notes on
2: PD? No. Just another a solid episode.
3: Another
1: solid episode. Yeah. It's crazy. <sighs> so um, the good news is that you guys have made it to the end of this episode, which means now you get to listen to our interview with Patty. Well, we love him. We love him. Yes. Um, it was so good to talk to him for the first time in like three or four years. Um, yeah. So. Enjoy. Here it is. How's it going, Patty? I
4: can't complain how you doing.
1: We're good. We're good. We haven't had you on the podcast in like three or four years. We're excited.
4: It's been yeah. a minute.
1: It has. yeah, so we'll jump right in. So there's a lot happening right now. Um, Marina mentioned in an interview a while back that Adam is sort of taking on a familial qual- quality this season. and we've already started to see it in the first two episodes because you know he's helping out Micha- Michaela and staying with Kim until she's back on her feet. What has it been like to explore that family dynamic with Kim and Michaela?
4: It's, I, you know, it, it kind of starts to influence everything that I do. You know what I mean? It's, it, uh, it gives me a whole other level to play when we're doing the policing stuff
3: Mm -hmm.
4: just because, you know, he's got more to lose. He's got more to live for. And so it, it does, it, it, it's been influencing everything I've done. We, I actually found out Actually, I think we were shooting episode two, so not not initially. But that kind of the idea behind this season, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, is is home, you know, for all of these all of these characters, you know, home and family, and uh, and I I don't know, I'm I'm kind of loving leaning into it, you know, because I think he was kind of a man on his own for a long time, even though he had this ups and downs with with Burgess. I think he kind of, he was kind of a lone wolf on some level. And so it's, it's nice to play something where he's, he's got all of these, he's got a lot of stock in these relationships, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So. So um, kind of going off of that though, um, like you said, so you do think it takes, it makes Adam take like a slightly different approach to policing now that he is like Michaela's guardian and kind of like a father figure, like he stepped into that role. You do think it makes him take a slightly different approach to policing?
4: Yeah. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think like we did a, a shootout the other day and uh, I definitely intended to play it like a lot more scared than I usually play it. You know what I mean? Like he's not doing heroic dives and he's not, you know, supermanning through the whole thing. It's scary. He's being fired upon and and things are, are not going according to plan. And uh, yeah, and that, a lot of that comes from. He just, he wants to go home, you know? And I think that he, of course he always wanted to go home, but you understand what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. it's different. There's more, he, he can't imagine the idea of what if he goes down this this poor kid who lost her whole family in such a tragic way, he's gonna offer her more tragedy? No, you know what I mean? He, he doesn't want that. So yeah, it, it, definitely, it definitely influences things.
1: Yeah. So, and we've clearly seen in the past season and a half, Adam would go to the ends of the earth for Kim. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some debate on the podcast between the two of us as to whether Kim would do the same. What would you think?
4: I, I think that, uh, I think she's probably less of a puppy dog for, for Adam that, you know, Adam's kind of, you know, she maybe has like more of a measured approach, but I think that, I think she adores the guy. As much as anybody else does, um, but I, you know what? Actually, it's an interesting question because I, I don't know if she'd maybe take it as far. But he's kind of that guy too, you know. He's a little, he's a little all in without being very thoughtful about things all of the time. Whereas Kim's way more measured. She's, you know, she she does things with intention, and I think he he does things with emotion. You know.
2: Yeah kind of going off of that like I'm curious like do you think that at this point Adam like wants to get back together with Kim or is he just content being in this like family dynamic with her and Michaela like in their? I mean
4: look he's a red-blooded American male Kim is a pretty woman I'm sure he would love things to be slightly different um but I think it's also it's so valuable to him that he's ready to ride this wave for now and and see how things develop. I mean, I I can't even imagine what would happen if they tried to introduce other elements into this relationship. You know, if he started dating again, or she did, I I don't, I don't think that would go over very well for either character. (laughs) So I, you know, again, I think he's, he's just happy to be a part of it. He wants to be a part of it more than he wants other things. And, and, uh, but, you know, I don't know, I, can they do this forever? Probably not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, one of our listeners sent a really good question. She asked, where is Adam going to stand once Haley's secret comes out? You would think it would be a slam dunk, but it might not because, you know, is he gonna be mad that it hurt Kim all this time? Or is he gonna be like on Voight's side? How's that gonna work out, do you think?
4: Well, I think that at the end of the day, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't really question Voight, you know what I mean? Um, sorry, I've got this thing going on. Uh, after Voight got his badge back and got him out of prison and this and that, I kind of made the choice, um, along with the, with the writers and the producers that, you know, he just doesn't, if Voight says, as says jump, he jumps, you know, he just, I think he just trusts him implicitly, you know, and he'll, he'll try and protect Voight from himself. But at the end of the day. Boyd says jump, you jump. And so I think that he would pretty quickly take a step back and be like, he did that to save Kim. And I wouldn't have done anything different if I was there. Um, I think he'd be worried for his friend Haley because she does have a really strong moral code. And, you know, they did have an intimate relationship for a while. So I think he's well aware of that. Um, And he would worry for her. But I don't think that that the worry would go so far as to make him um go against void in any way
2: do you think though i'm curious like obviously because they've kept it from kim and like it's affected kim in a lot of ways and obviously it's allowed her not to recover because she does she still thinks that roy's alive do you think any part of adam would be mad at them for keeping the secret because of the way it's affected kim
4: no i don't think so i mean i think at the end of the day maybe he'd be a little annoyed i but i think at the end of the day it would be like they had to do what they got to do you know what i mean and again it was all for her and then once the once things went south the way that they did it's like of course they kept it secret I would have kept it secret too yeah I think I think he's pretty on board with with the unit just helping each other you know what I mean like he just doesn't ask a lot of questions when it comes to that that's his family and it it all kind of boils down to them so he'll kind of do anything for them you know what I mean
1: Yeah, and so if we take it back to the end of season eight, I mean, Adam kind of lost everything in the span of three or four episodes. And in the finale, he almost lost Kevin on top of that. So Adam and Kevin had a huge fight and it might've been due to the circumstances, but it's not really something you can ignore. So the point that we're at right now, do you think that they're okay?
4: I think that, you know, I think that, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a, without trying to sound misogynist, kind of a guy thing to, you know, we did, sometimes we swing and we punch and we, but it just kind of works out and you look at the other guy like, uh, you know, sorry, man, sorry, man. And then you just move on. And I, again, I I don't know what the, what the writers are going to go with, but it, but for me, it feels like this kind of stuff, they resolve rather quickly, you know, they just, they're not going to hold on. They're not going to hold on to stuff because they're important to one another. And, uh, you know, it, they can resolve it without having to sit and have a full-on conversation of I'm sorry and this, that, and the other thing they, they can kind of just, just move on. I mean, you know, they put us in this position, he, Atwater and Ruzick a lot where we butt heads about one thing or another. And, um, I think Royce and I have struck a really nice balance uh, as far as, as as telling those stories, talking about those difficult subjects, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, going back to the Kim and Michaela of it all real quick, obviously this is now the first time you're really getting like a lot of scenes with Ramona. We're just curious, like what's it been like working with her?
4: <laughs> it's frustrating because she steals every scene. <laughs> no, she, I mean, she's, Ramona's, um, I'm going to repeat myself for for Katie and Leslie, but she's like eight going on 22, you know what I mean? She's like one of these, she's an exceptional kid. And uh, so hanging out with her, she kind of just like debops around with me and we kind of hang out. I I get along with kids. I'm kind of a large child myself. So um, so we get along really well and... uh, she brings it to the table, like the, the directors will give her not uncomplicated direction, she's like, okay. And then she just does it. And you're like, wow. So it's, it's been really fun. I mean, I, I like how it rounds out the character, my character a little bit too, you know what I mean, you see him, he, he's so quick to get angry and he's, he's kind of hot headed a lot of the time and it's really nice to have him be able to show this other side with him when he gets around kids and he just calms calms right down and, and uh tries to do his best to take care of her you know be
1: there yeah. for her so another one of our listeners asked she's like you know berzik's now the only original couple still remaining in one chicago and so what do you attribute that true? To-
4: that's kind yeah. of true isn't it wow it
2: is true
1: huh
4: well i mean <laughs> Marina and I, <clears throat> as much as we're, we all would love to like work with, you know. They kind of put put certain people together a lot of the time. Like Marina and Tracy would love to do an episode where it, it's kind of girl centric and you you see their relationship. Also, um, we have this running joke that uh, that Jay Halstead thinks that Kim Burgess's name is Kate Burgess because they rarely interact. <laughs> so. In scenes, he'll just end up calling her Kate, which obviously never makes it to TV, but makes us laugh on set. <clears throat> um, but I love working with her. I just me and Marina have—it's like the way she approaches scenes uh, approaches acting, and the way that I do it kind of—it just marries really well together. You know what I mean? We we I think we balance each other out. Um, we have a great rapport. She's one of my best friends. You know and. Uh, I, yeah i mean i just i think there's a reason they keep throwing us together it just seems to it's it's easy it's very easy with her if, if i'm in a scene with her i know it's going to be good I, and and that's in large part due to her <laughs> i just kind of sit back on my haunches and let her do do the work and uh yeah so both ramona and and marina just do all the work and i just kind of sit in the scenes with them that's basically what i'm telling y'all
2: i think we're supposed to wrap up so um patty thank you so much for taking your time we really appreciate we love having you on the pod yeah hey
4: it's nice to see you guys
1: yeah nice to see you
4: thanks for sticking with us for nine years
1: i love him he's the best i know i would talk to patty every week if we could i but same though but same I'm, I'm telling you, I said it before, but like when he said it, this he's like, it's nice to see you guys. I like melted in my seat. I was just like, oh my God, like <laughs> he's so nice. Oh yeah. Well, and there was
2: something he said. I don't even remember what it was, but as I was going back and like editing it, the clip or whatever, I was like, oh man, like I could hear his Minnesota accent so much more
1: this time. I don't know what, but like, I could really hear his accent this time. Oh really? Now. I yeah. never caught that. Yeah. If you guys hear it, let us know. I, I didn't even catch that that's mm-hmm. funny uh but patty's just the best oh my god yeah. i love him um god he's the best anyway uh that's the end of our episode for today as always you guys know where to find us facebook twitter instagram tumblr it's meet us at molly's right across the board email us anytime about anything meet us at molly's at gmail.com we're always watching other stuff i um finished squid game last week so if anybody wants to talk about that i'm game because that was some crazy ass shit uh what are you watching right now Brianna? I just finished the series
2: finale of On My Block today, and I was a hot mess. So Ooh. it's, oh, but I love that show. I mean, I was a hot mess through basically the final season. I thought the finale was great. But um, yeah, it's so, oh,
1: it's so good. It's so okay. good. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah. So if you guys want to support the pod for as little as $2 a month, you can head to the link in our socials, check out our Patreon page, decide which tier is best for you. Um, yeah. Normal schedule going forward. I won't be here next week. Um, Ashley, our, 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 good friend, Ashley, Ashley Bissette-Zumrell from Telltale TV. She will be filling in for me. Um, yeah. I'm going to probably leave a lot of notes in the outline because I'm going to have a lot of opinions and it's going to drive me nuts that I can't share them. Uh also i feel like just we need
2: to throw it out um we are not live tweeting next week so if you see us mia from the live tweets uh there is a reason gina is on vacation i will be at a jonas brothers concert no shame um yeah so we will not we're not live tweeting obviously we're okay but we're out living our best lives but obviously a normal episode will be out on time but there will be no live tweets from us next week
1: yeah so Uh, yeah. And that's about it. So in the meantime, um, you guys have a good weekend. Um, you know, good luck with your Upstead bills. They hurt a lot. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but have a good weekend and we'll see you guys. Well, I'll see you guys in two weeks, but Bryna, we'll see you next week. Bye.